So, welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. Uh, we are playing a little bit of catch-up at the moment. This is going to be our reviews podcast for releases that came out on the 4th of March. Uh, we weren't able to record last week, um, just uh, schedules didn't quite match up, unfortunately. And we Sorry, were, my fault. And we well, <laughs> not, not, not just your fault, Keith. Uh, yeah, winging at my cans over there as well. Globetrotting before. Just about made it to Germany. <laughs> where, where were you winging it? You were winging it off to Germany? I was winging it in Germany, yeah. We just about made it back before every border was closed, thankfully. So, Globetrotting yeah, it, it before it good became time. illegal. Look at that. Uh, yeah, so those are the, uh, the dulcet tones you both hear of. Roddy. Keith. And not yet to speak. Picky. And of course, your host, Alan. So, uh, yeah, I'd say we're playing a little bit of catch up. Obviously, the world is in a bit of a weird place at the moment, to say the least. Um, normally, we'd kick things off with a little bit of sort of comic news, movie news. The only news is it's all cancelled. It's all cancelled because of coronavirus. Because of coronavirus, exactly. Some guy in China tried to become Batman and failed miserably. I thought know. it was Man Bat. <laughs> or it could be Man Bat. <laughs> or Man Batman. We're, we're not quite sure yet. But uh, yeah, obviously, it, it is a little bit of a strange time in the world right now see what you did there you did see what it did there. <laughs> that'll play into it later okay. uh but yeah we're not going to talk an awful lot about that i mean obviously we you know we all see social media we all see the news we we just hope anyone listening to this that those close to you are all good and uh you know we wish everybody our best but uh we'll stay away from that kind of stuff and just focus on the good stuff focus on some comics uh hopefully this is something that uh will allow you to uh, forget about the outside world for however long Keith wants to speak for tonight. Well, it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, while, while movie theatres are, are sort of shutting down and movie production houses are, are postponing movies and, uh, you know, theatres and all sorts of gigs, obviously my business being music, gigs are being cancelled left, right and centre. <laughs> Everybody's going to be stuck in the house either listening to podcasts or yeah. watching Netflix. So or I think we should probably have production reading, here. Or reading comic books. Reading or comics. reading comic books. Indeed. You know, and we can provide two of those things. You know, we'll get working on the Netflix show, you know, maybe while we're off the next few weeks. But uh, yeah, I should just say just at the start, we did throw a little thing out in social media today. Uh, we do know that when it comes to a lot of our customers and Polis customers and, and to be honest, friends who we've made through the store, we know that it's not always going to be possible in the next few weeks for people to make it to us where we're still in a little bit of uncertainty in terms of opening on a daily basis so we're sort of playing it by ear and we will make announcements through social media but we did put a little one out today that if anybody who you know lives within a decent distance we will do um drop-offs to your door uh we can organize your comics for you in advance we can bring them to you uh let you know the sort of amounts that the the pull has come to before we arrive drop them off vicky will uh Drive. Oh, well, you won't be driving, so yeah. <laughs> I'll be holding the precious cargo. That's a very important job. The precious things. Exactly. Well, no, you might be at home sorting the comics and I'll be doing the well, deliveries. that too. But uh, no, it's just to give an alternative because we do understand that obviously people have different circumstances and all the rest. So anything we can do to, to help with that, we will stay open as long as, you know, Smithfield's open but again but, that's out of our control so but also our card machine is um portable so don't be worrying about having to get cash or paypal we can bring our card machine to you so obviously we can try and do our best and make sure we've got a wee pocket full of change so you can uh we can sort <laughs> you a pocket full of rainbows there for some reason i don't know why but no yeah. change sounds better <laughs> as long Go as bigger. obviously maybe a wee pound extra or two for petrol 
Vicky <laughs> <laughs> accepts tips. Tips go towards petrol. Yes. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, that's just a little bit of sort of housekeeping and stuff with ourselves. But yeah, we're, we're we have a couple of podcasts. We're going to record back to back, keep the episodes separate. But we're going to focus first of all on the releases from the fourth of March. Uh, how was everyone's breakdown for this week? I mean, I myself personally, I had fourteen, I believe. Uh, or yeah. was it no sorry I beg your pardon it was 16 because oh. I had a bigger indie week than anything I had 5 DC 5 Marvel and 6 indie I yeah. had a quiet week but I don't have as big as week as Keith or Alan whenever it comes to it. I think I had 8 I had 3 Marvel and 5 indie how many DC? 0 still working on it still working on yeah. it sorry folks I'm trying my best here <laughs> I like what I like <laughs> I'm not going to change. <laughs> I think it's good I, to have an open mind, over you. Uh, I, think I do. I, I have. A, I have been reading Harleen, and I read White Knight. So, back up. You're getting, you're getting there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm stepping away from the mic. Uh, I had seven in total. Like like yourself, Vicky, it was a bit bit quieter this week. Um, did you have seven or did you have eight? That's what I want to know. Based oh, the- have we got this wrong? <laughs> no. Um, based on your breakdown, I can't. No, sorry, it. I had eight. Then I've got that wrong. So three Marvel, three indie, and two DC for me. So yeah, nice, nice wee balance Nick and Nick there. Then? Yeah, and comfortably our front runner for the week. Twenty-one for me. Up um, in the twenties. Twelve Marvel, five DC, four indie. Yeah, there was a lot of good stuff this week. Um, obviously, we'll have honorable mentions and so forth later, but. Probably for the first time in a long time, I'd say all of our pick of, picks of the week for all of us all come from the big two. Mm-hmm. Uh, no indie titles. Are you okay over there, Roddy? <sighs> yeah, I think I'll I think I'll survive. You'll be yeah. all right. Yeah. Well, that's okay because we'll kick off things <laughs> with what my pick of the week was, and let's be honest, it kind of reads like an indie book. <clears throat> uh, so for me, it's probably no surprise. I we we have a little group where we'll sort of chat about what our favorite comics of the week are so far, and this and that, and I. I think I initially said that it might have been an indie title for me, and I think the guys were just sort of like, you know, wise up, we know exactly what you're going to pick. Stop pretending you're going to pick something like We else. have seen the releases, we have seen we the know names what's on coming. <laughs> so for me, yeah, uh, for me, the pick of the week was Strange Adventures, number one. Uh, this is a regularly sized DC Black Label title, so even Keith has read it. I'm uh, in. Uh, yeah, it's a triple creative team. Uh, so you have Tom Kane on writing, and then it's two different artists, which is Mitch Dreads and Evan Doc Shainer. Um, Keen and uh, Mitch Dreads, of course, are frequent collaborators. They've worked together on Sheriff of Babylon, Great Vertigo indie series. Uh, they worked together on Mr. Miracle. Uh, Dreads also did short stints on Batman and Heroes in Crisis, along with, with Clay Mann. Doc Shainer, he has worked for DC Titles, a few other ones. He's worked on The Terrifics, Future Quest, uh, Convergence, Shazam which I actually hooked out of the base today when I did my research and I really want to read. Uh, it's simply because I'm a big fan of this art style. Uh, so Strange Adventures, first of all, I, I was slightly concerned when I heard about two artists. It, it worries me when you've got two artists on a book. It's how's it going to gel? How's it going to you know run? But the way they've done it in this is actually really, really inspired. So it's set in two different time periods. You have events that have happened in the past and events that are happening in the present. Mitch Dreads handles the events in the present and Doc Shainer is the events in the past, uh, which I think is just a really, really clever, clever idea. And interesting as well, because Adam Strange, the main character, so at his core, 
he is a man split between two worlds. So it is interesting to have two different artists on that. And those two worlds are Earth and Ran. Earth and Ran, exactly. So I did a little bit of a sort of a little bit of research, a little bit of a primer on who is Adam Strange. Now, <coughs> one of the strengths of this book, I think, is that you can go into it knowing nothing. Uh, Adam Strange is someone that uh, I'm not overly familiar with, I have to say. But uh, Adam Strange, he was created in 1958 by Julius Schwartz and Murphy Anderson. Uh, key characteristics, he sports a jetpack, ray gun, and finned helmet. As Keith was saying there, he splits his life between Earth and the planet Ran. And he actually travels between these two worlds by use of a Zeta beam, which is not the most reliable method of travel because when he's on Ran, he can be teleported back to Earth at any time. Whenever the beam gets weak, isn't exactly. that right? Exactly. He has zero control over it, and it's usually at the most inopportune of times to raise the tension. Uh, but he'll always rush back to Ran because he set up a relationship with a woman there uh, called Alana, who is from Ran. So, yeah, I mean, Strange Adventures, the, the, the idea behind this one for me is the whole idea of one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Uh, it's something, obviously, Tom Keane has a little bit of a history with, having been in the CIA. Uh, so it's I think it's a territory ripe for exploration. Uh, so, yeah, if we, we kick off the issue itself, you know, it kicks off in the least superhero-y way possible uh, with Adam Strange at a book signing and full outfit saying, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, can I sign a book for you? So Interesting, because... That's a scene that uh, anybody who's into comics and has been to a comic convention, you know, and has cornered a creator, you know, or you've got a, or you've got a creator sitting signing books. That so that's something that's that first panel is something that just appeals to to comic fans. Yeah, you know? oh, hundred yeah. percent. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 you know the books are piled high there. Obviously, doing signed copies. Uh, it's an interesting little detail, and obviously with this being Mitch Dredd's on art, but it's an interesting little detail. You can see different colored sharpies on there. Because, you know, based on the book that you have with you or, you know, what colour the covers are or whatever, you know, you need different uh, coloured Sharpies. Reminds me a little of uh, the clay man signing at the store. Exactly. We, we had two sets, two cups in front of him so he could pick and choose which ones he wanted. I think he mainly went for black, I think. and then Yeah, mainly black and a couple of sort of silver red. ones, that kind of thing, and red as well. But, but yeah, it's sort of Adam Strange is on a book tour at the moment. So he's essentially written a book called Strange Adventures, uh, which is telling the story of his time on Ran, where he essentially helped quell a intergalactic war. He played his part in it, and what had happened on Ran, if he hadn't have helped stop it, it would have ended up um, affecting Earth as well. At least that's what his wife says. telling people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. Because it's all about as well how, you know, the victor will write the truth about history. You know, that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, so you're split at the start between uh, the stuff on Ran, him getting teleported back, it establishes the relationship with Alana uh, as well. Then you've got, like, these talk show hosts and people talking about it. You know, do you believe everything he says and uh, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, wonderful uh, kickoff to the issue. Just throws you straight in. And then, then you get to the crux of the issue, which is essentially a really, really unhappy guy at his signing who basically says you know i know all about the the picts i know what you did you liar you scum and to be fair the pict to be clear the picts are the on ran are the opposing force mm-hmm. um they seem to be i don't know that what i took not knowing in really anything about adam strange other than the fact he's a flash gordon like uh pulp action hero um they would appear to be uh, 
I got the impression that they're the original inhabitants of the planet Ran. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's two cultures on this planet and they, they battle and possibly they're, yeah, they're, they're essentially they're, conquering yeah. the original inhabitants. Yes, so to speak. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what's interesting about certainly with the art when this guy's really having a go at him, uh, you know, all these phones are being held up in the background. People are recording it. Uh, so it's given the age we live in, this is inevitably going to go viral. Uh I do find it interesting he's wearing a Black Canary t-shirt. I don't know what that's... I uh, don't know really what that's supposed to mean, but yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, so suddenly start people start sort of thinking that there's there's holes in Adam Strange's story and is this the truth and all this kind of stuff. But where the story really gets going as well is that person who confronted him then turns up beheaded, essentially. He's had his head shot off by a ray gun. So, of course, the suspicion falls straight on Adam Strange. Of course, he denies it. Uh, he's essentially then trying to enlist help to prove his innocence. Uh, I did like that the first person he brings to it is Batman. You know, <laughs> you know, Tom King can't just get away from uh, Batman, but in a nice sort of turn of events, Batman says he won't do the case uh, and asks someone else to essentially uh, do it. Batman feels that he's too close, too close to Adam, exactly. that, that Adam Strange has saved his life a number of times and... You know, he so thinks his vision, it, yeah, it's it's interesting that because that actually almost goes back to the Batman story when Bruce Wayne was a member of the court and he was a little bit too close, he needed other people to judge his. Oh, actions. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh-huh. it's an interesting sort of play on that as well. It, it shows Batman's and those few panels show Batman's moral center, yeah. You know, he goes, he immediately goes, Nope, can't do it, I'm compromised, I'll find someone else who can, yeah. And they set up that other person by the end of the issue, uh. I don't know if it's a, a massively well-known character. Um, I know who it is. You know, it's Mr. Terrific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they only basically just show the arm that says... It's oh, the, the leather jacket. Fair play. Fair play. <laughs> Fair play. <laughs> At the end. Uh, <laughs> and they're essentially going to conduct now an investigation to find out what's happened. So what I really, really loved about it is, as you say, Flash Gordon was a, was a good pull there. You've got this pulpy sci-fi adventure happening in one storyline, which is just really fun and big and widescreen and epic. And then you've got like this murder investigation on Earth. So you've got two opposing stories that no doubt will feed into each other though as the story goes on. Uh, I really enjoyed the art. I have to say the two styles melded together perfectly. Were different enough that you could pick up where they were different. Yeah, very much so. And I really liked the the difference. I mean, I, I know we've talked a little bit before and I get teased a little bit for really liking the nine panel format that the team usually works beyond. But I really like this sort of three-panel format. It gave it a very widescreen sensibility, almost cinematic uh, and quite epic. And it, it really allows the art to breathe. Because Keane as well, I think he doesn't write tons of dialogue. If you start flicking through pages, you'll see that even though you have this these big widescreen panels, there's not tons of dialogue on them. You know, he's, he's really trusting the artist to communicate the story at times. Which is strange because I thought Mr. Miracle was the opposite it was yeah. very very dialogue heavy yeah and quite uh quite condensed uh, com- almost yeah it was it was tight the the panels were mostly small yeah you know what i mean yeah claustrophobic uh, yeah. was the sorry that was the word i was looking for thank you very much no, you're this welcome. is why you're the writer <laughs> <laughs> well try to be <laughs> but uh yeah i really really like this um this format that they used for it uh, i have to say and it's interesting because I was I was listening to another podcast. You know, other podcasts are available, of course, than our own. But pardon me, it, they talked a little bit about how Tom Keen was on it, sorry, I should say, and he talked a little bit about how he practiced this form of storytelling in Batman number seventy-two, which I don't know if you remember much. It was to do with Batman Nightmares, and it was the one with Professor Pig. 
Yeah, yeah. So I remember and it you was talking about three it, yeah. panel, three yeah. panel, three yeah. panel. In fact, I think it was sixty-two. Sorry, not seventy-two. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was almost—he was already thinking ahead of like, I want to use this style in Strange Adventures, so I'm gonna maybe, you know, play around with this and see if I can improve as a storyteller through that. And it was Mitch Dreads on art as well. So it was. Uh, oh. It's interesting. He's always sort of thinking. He's not always just thinking about that one story he's writing. He's thinking about other bits and pieces outside of that, which I that thought was, was the, interesting. That uh, was the Stigman and his Amazing Friends podcast, was it? It was, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, I should throw, throw a little bit of a love out for that. It is a rather it's good podcast. very, very good. Um, so, yeah, in terms of a, uh, a first issue, I thought this was great. I thought it, it read really well. It looked great. It set up an intriguing mystery at the, at the center. Um, yeah. Did the artists color their own work? They colored, inked. They did all of it themselves. The whole lot, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think as well, what's cool about it is because this is quite a unique way of utilizing a two-artist format, we know DC can sometimes be bad with shipping, but th- this means there should never be any delays or anything like that because they've essentially drawn half an issue each sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it looks great. It read great. Um, the, uh, I love the... There's one stage where... Uh, where there's a, I guess it's a morning talk show or an afternoon talk show, but one of those talk shows, and the dialogue between the two presenters who are they're they're waiting for Adam Strange to come on, and they've got his book, and I thought the dialogue was fantastic. It was just so true to life for, uh, for that sort of thing. I just uh, I thought that page was was great. And there was a couple of things in it that confused me a wee bit. Um, so um, the second page is three panels and. Uh, you know, at the top, Adam Strange is is lying on Earth with Alana. They're talking about, um, you know, the 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 options they have, PR stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the second panel, he's he's rushing to get into a, theta, a, a Zeta beam. That's that's what happens there. And then the start of the next page, he's back on Ran again. But I got the impression that these were two separate time periods, and what was happening in Ran was happening before. Yeah, I mean, I, I got the impression it was just to sort of um, show how he travels between them and so forth. So, I mean, is he still traveling between them right now? But uh, clearly not, because, you know, if you look at the one page, he's sitting with the person who I presume is Alana, his wife from Ran. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, lying, they're sitting in a bedroom talking about PR stuff. She on Earth is now, he seems to be his PR person, as well as his wife. And then the start of the next page he's stepped into the zeta beam and he's on ran and the woman that runs up to him is his wife yeah i mean that's that's stuff that just takes place in the past is it uh, yeah i th- i think it was just a case of uh, a few sort of random images random story beats and story moments just to try and establish their relationship so yeah, it's showing how he rushes for the beams doesn't, sh- doesn't she say something about the I uh, can't remember who it is, but they've returned or something. Isn't that supposed to be in yeah, the past? Yeah, the, the Picts. Yeah. So if she's saying, or so if they're saying they've returned, mm-hmm. that's before he's actually done all the stuff that then at the start of that page is what he's out promoting on the book tour. So, yeah. So yeah. I, I know what you mean. It, yeah, you know, just because not, that, that page ends with yeah. him in a, in a Zeta beam and then the other page starts with him, you know, I guess yeah. beaming in. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's, I it's, suppose it's just a form of non-sequential storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting as well you mentioned that page where the, the newsreader dialogue's great I actually only noticed on a second read and I've actually read this three times now but I noticed on a second read the Adam Strange stuff in the background yeah, yeah, where yeah. he's sort of like flying up to the window and like outside the down, window yeah. and he's sticking his tongue out and all that you know he, he is a consummate showman uh, uh, well. yeah so it's 
it's it's it's a really good it's a really good book. I'm really interested to see how it how it's going to develop. Um, you gotta that, love this as well when he goes to the book signing here. And again, I've literally just noticed this there now. The three books in the guy's hand is Strange Adventures, Mister Miracle, mm-hmm. and Sheriff of Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> Why would he want Adam Strange to sign all those? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, and there's a there's a there's a scene here as well. They're sitting outside of the the Lincoln Memorial. Uh, him and his wife. Uh, I guess it's just after a, it's just after a bit of a, a presidential uh, thing. I don't know, some sort of a, you know, and she's chatting business. You know, trying to say, oh, you know, I've got a little emails from political people, the hell and the White House, crazy stuff. Everyone wants you to run for something like uh, local mayor. Uh, uh, who cares to the very top all the way and he's sitting in the background you know with his congressional medal of honor going pew 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 <laughs> you know <laughs> it reminded me of green lantern a little bit at that point the the morrison run in the hal jordan is from earth so he spends time there but he yearns to be back amongst the stars so mm. even though they're doing all this stuff and making money and he's getting this fame and notoriety and all the rest he just wants to be an adventure out in space uh which yeah, i thought was kind yeah. of interesting and, i mean but he clearly yeah, I don't, there's. I'm really interested to see how this develops because the other thing about uh, about Flash Gordon and Adam Strange is that they are both uh, they're both products of colonialism. You know what I mean? And I think Tom King's talked a wee bit about that. You know, yeah. the the great white hunter, you know, the great white hero, sent off to a foreign land or exploring a foreign land and liberating the people there, and you know, starting to you know. So, so I think this is this is the really the crux of this uh, and I'm really interested and I think that's what's what's interesting because the first thing I thought about was oh those pics those, those are the people who were originally here you know so I'm interested to see that and, he, and Adam you know he says I've made a I've made a family here I've made a you know a, a home here you know as if that gives him the right to you know have supplanted their land or <laughs> their world you know so I think there's there's a lot uh, there's a lot going on here I'm really interested to see uh, to see what what happens with it and and uh, and what King does with it, especially given, you know that Tom King served as a, a member of a service in what is maybe considered to be the last one of the last imperialistic colonial powers in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, there'd be it'd be interesting to see interesting to see how it develops. I think yeah. there's a lot more going on here than 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 we have yet to see. Oh, definitely. I'd be uh, interested to see what Mister Terrific uncovers. Very much so. Uh, the sort of early solicits as well for the covers all look great. I think there's a big world to explore here, and that's the sort of the benefit of having the two different stories running concurrently as well. So there's so much scope to show what happened on Ran, but at the same time have that sort of murder investigation and all the rest. So, yeah, I I was thoroughly impressed with it. As I say, I read it a few times now. Uh, the art is just gorgeous the whole way through it. That's lovely. Uh, yeah. Definitely. I think what's uh, what's interesting, actually, is what Mr. Terrific says as he appears. He doesn't quite appear on screen. His arm appears on screen. Uh, but, uh, you know, Adam has effectively asked him to investigate the murder. Mm-hmm. But uh, Mr. Terrific says, I've read your book. I've got a few questions. You know, yeah. the book's not about the murder. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> it's he, about what happened. investigating him. Yeah, he is, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, cool. I uh, really uh, lived up to it for me. So, yeah, that was Strange Adventures, number one, by Tom Keane and Mitch Jarrett and Evan Doc Shaner. So we move from one uh, strange title to another. Uh, what have you got for us this week as your pick of the week, Vicky? 
I've got Strange Academy by Scotty Young and I always get these names. Alberto Ramos. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, Season Spider-Man veteran. Oh, yes. We know his name well. Yeah. Well, I like the easy names. <laughs> these guys don't always have easy names for me. Um, so, yeah, I went for, obviously, Scotty Young being one of my favourite artists. He's now becoming a good writer as well. And he's doing, been doing a lot of uh, writing that I seem to be liking as well. Obviously, you've got this and... Middle West. Middle West. Yeah. 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 Don't know why that completely slipped my mind, but yeah. Um, obviously, with his stuff, it's quite fun, light-hearted, and this starts out quite... That, obviously, um, it's a family, and they're writing about... Um, oh, it's the, the young girl. She's writing to Mr. Strange. as So it's all broken up, but it's as she's growing up. And she's sort of showing her friend that she can make the do- the dog fly, which obviously nice comedic <laughs> moment to kick things off with. Yeah, yeah. Emily Bright, you call her. Uh, yeah. So we're just Emily Bright, who is not a magician who I have heard of in no. Marvel before. I've not. Yeah, because there's some characters later on. I would imagine you're more than familiar with, you know, uh, them being offspring of or yeah, 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 sort of related to related to in some way, but not this one. But. This is obviously this is a new sort of area that I've not really sort of been to with obviously Doctor Strange and the Academy. It's obviously something new. But as she's growing up, she's trying new things and realising that she's got these powers. But she's asking for help. And there comes a day where she's walking the dog and he runs and she runs off and she's unfortunately hit by a car. And then um, Emily is able to heal her, so she knows that she can do good things. But, mm, but what she doesn't realise yet is that in the Marvel Universe, all magic has a cost. There is always consequences, which she finds out on the next page or two, as um, she, uh, I think she, she makes the flowers grow, and then all of a sudden, there's an angry tree, which... Uh, <laughs> Isn't exactly sort of what you want, but um, obviously she's standing there, sort of not sure what she's done or how she's done it, and then she, she's like standing there, going, "Okay, this is crazy," and she's attacked by the tree. <laughs> she's in, she's in real trouble. Yeah, <laughs> and then the tree tree is like calling her a foolish child. You will pay for what you have done and, and what you have taken, and so obviously. She's sort of a bit unsure of what she's done. And then um, as another girl comes in... That's Zelma Stanton. That's uh, Doctor Strange's most recent uh, apprentice. Uh, a librarian who uh, Strange recruited during... It was during Mark Wade's run on Doctor Strange. And, he, you know, she was a librarian and now she's she's a, a magic user. She's a, a magician in the Marvel Universe. Um, good to see her back. Okay. Now, now I know, and now I can sort yeah. of know bits, bits, um, pieces a bit more. Um, and so they go back to Emily's mum and dad's house, and Zel, is it Zelma. Yeah, um, that's the one. She she's explaining to Emily's parents about it, and that there's a magic school, and they can help her. But then they turn her down. 
but I think Emily somehow persuades him and says, I think this is what I need. Well, I think at first they're obviously hesitant. They don't want to see their daughter be taken away and this and that, but I'm guessing in those few weeks they see more and more of her abilities come to the fore and they realise it's obviously for the best. But what I like is um, as they go, um, they go through a door and it's pitch black, but it's just like two lights by the door and all of a sudden they're in a busy street. Sorry. <laughs> and then sort of they're in they're in a completely different area and they're Yeah, the school the school is in New Orleans. Uh so they transport to, to New Orleans, they arrive in Bourbon Street, New Orleans, uh through this this transport and uh you know that whenever they open the gate to this the the what we'll come to know is the Strange Academy. Um, that's fantastic. I mean, I think it looks like you know from the outside an old, overgrown house. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't you can't see the house for the for the weeds around the outside, but whenever they open it, it's it's absolutely <laughs> f- it's like an entire bayou in its, itself. It's got like this huge uh, old school mansion house, and uh, there's a whole lot of stuff going on there in the background. Other buildings and boat houses and lakes, and <laughs> got a wee dome as well, which mm-hmm. looks like like some sort of growing area. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. training facility. And as they walk through, they um they're greeted by with by other mutants, I guess. Is it mutants? In no, this no, it? it's it's all ma- ma- magic <laughs> users. So we we're introduced to Shaylee Moonpedal, uh, who is a fairy. Uh, she's half fairy, uh, so she's another student at the at the uh, the academy. Uh, we're introduced to Eric and Alvi, who are uh, twin brothers from Asgard, young Asgardians, and. Uh, a frost giant. Uh, I can't remember what you call what you call her. So uh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, um, and uh, Loki appears in the scene uh, because obviously Loki is now the king of the frost giants uh, okay. from formerly. So he's uh, making sure that uh, his um, his subject is enrolled uh, successfully in the school. <laughs> We're introduced to uh, uh, what do you call? Uh, what do you call uh, Dormammu's son? Doyle Dormammu. So uh, Dormammu being <laughs> being uh, one of Doctor Strange's, he's the ruler of the Dread Dimension, uh, one of Doctor Strange's uh, arch nemeses, but his son Doyle is all. <laughs> is that the guy with the pump? Like, pump yeah, yeah, fire, yeah, pump yeah, yeah. Firehead. That, the, the flame head, yeah. Um, so there's a whole lot of, there seems to be uh, a kid there who is like, um, he, he's a man man thing type creature um so we're we're into just effectively to all these young people who are magic users or burgeoning magic users in the marvel universe and they're enrolled in this enrolled in this school uh we have a great great scene where they're they're, they're they don't get to choose their roommates the roommates are chosen for them so um emily bright who seems to be our point of view character in the book um she is paired with shaley the, the fairy the fairy who she met initially <laughs> the two twin brothers obviously want to room together that's not to be the case um you know that so it's 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 great it's got a young sort of stuff um oh, there's a load of new characters here uh, all of the characters effectively are new all of the main characters are new uh the characters who are not new are the teachers uh so we're introduced to the Everybody gets their uniforms, get their room. We're introduced oh, to the so teachers. This is, this is where you come in, Keith. Yeah, well, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, the, uh, the, the, the head of the, the school is Dr. Voodoo. 
who was formerly the Sorcerer Supreme himself, a well-known um, character in the, the Marvel Universe. Uh, Zelma is the keeper of arcane and, and magical items. The Ancient One, who was Doctor Strange, teacher and the teacher of most of the magic users in the Marvel Universe, uh, is, is also a, a member of staff. Uh, Mindful One, which is interesting because uh, the mindless ones are the race he is from. Mindless ones are uh, they're, uh, cannon fodder for Dormammu, if I recall. And a whole lot of magical, they're magical, magical cannon fodder, effectively, a whole lot of bad guys, you know, he's the dormitory resident, but he's called Mindful One rather than Mindless One, so that'll be an interesting story. Uh, Damon Hellstrom, uh, Nico uh, Minoru, uh, Scarlet Witch, uh, Magic from the X-Men, Shaman, I thought Shaman was dead, uh, Michael Two Young Man from Alpha Flight, um... So no, yeah, no one ever really dies in comics. Well, yeah, I haven't seen him in a long while. And then uh, Doctor Tr- Doctor Strange turns up in the middle of a in the middle of a battle um, against some sort of uh, insane oh uh, some sort of insane uh, creature. So the kids all go to work uh, helping Doctor Strange uh, fight this creature. So it's uh, yeah, it's <laughs> I thought this was a class book, Vicky. Yeah, it's quite bright and. Fun and colourful, which is obviously what you want. It's a proper escapism, which you really need at times like these. Mm. Scotty Young and Umberto Ramos are a great pairing. Is that the first book Scotty Young's done for Marvel? No, like written, obviously. Deadpool before. He wrote Ah, the Deadpool run before. I think it is Kelly Thompson on Deadpool now, but the run before that was Scotty Young. Uh, So I think that's all he's done. He's done other indie titles. Uh, Bully Wars was one that he wrote. Uh, obviously Middle West oh, yeah. Fairyland uh, I hit Fairyland mm-hmm. yeah but yeah I'm pretty sure Scotty Young he started with Deadpool and then he's ah, moved on cool. to this but Humberto Ramos is almost a slightly more realistic version of Scotty Young's art well, it's, it's very yeah. similar in style you know? uh, it's it's interesting because Scotty Young the way he pairs himself with, with artists such as uh, Jorge Corona on yeah. uh, on um, Middle, West. Middle West and Humberto Ramos and this he, I mean he, I think Bully Wars he, as well it was a very similar yeah. style yeah well I mean it's different it's it, it's not Scotty Young style but it definitely uh, melds with his style you know there's definitely similarities um, I yeah. thought whenever I saw the previews for this and it was one of these books that we were fed up seeing the previews <laughs> in the bag of Marvel comics um, you know there was three pages there uh, it was that battle with Doctor Strange and the kids and whatnot. Um I was thinking, oh, this looks like it's going to be like Marvel Harry Potter. But actually on reading it, I'm thinking this is going to be a wee bit more like Deadly Class, you know, with Marvel magic. I think there's going to be a wee bit more like that. Yeah, there's... Not to the level of magic order in the middle. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've got Harry Potter, Strange Academy, magic order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting our magic order sort of Yeah, I think so. I think so. So this is going to be interesting. Uh, There's a page at the back where you have the Strange Academy application form. Vicky, have you filled it out yet? No, because I'm not defacing my comic. <laughs> That's just rude. <laughs> Comparisons. Doctor Strange is to Nidavellir's ice crystals as they are to... Any answers? Any answers? Uh, if Dormammu is levitating a, a quarter, 30 centimetres above your desk, and you cast a deflection spell correctly, how many rabbits should appear? <laughs> Roddy? Six. Perfect, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> Sold. Looking forward to issue two of that. Yep, and that comes on the 4th of 
uh, no, the first. Sorry, the first of Those April. Those Americans and they're putting their month before their uh, days. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. So miniseries, do you see all these characters sticking wrong? Uh, I think it's an ongoing. I think it's an ongoing. And what's interesting is because of the way they introduce the teachers, they don't have to be in every issue. Yeah. So you can yeah. have spotlight issues on certain characters and stuff like that. I think so we're going to have, I think, Dr. Voodoo, Zelma, uh, the Ancient One, and the main, main full one yeah. will be the, the core uh, then you'll rotate in the likes of yeah. Magic and the likes of Scarlet Witch. And Whenever we're talking like about so. demonology, it'll be Demon Hellstrom. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah, I really dug that as well. I thought it was a really, really fun first issue. And again, it's a, it's a good all ages issue as well. But, you know, uh, yeah, great, great first issue, I thought, as well. So be interested to see if there's any Constantine nods in there. <laughs> he would make a great teacher. <laughs> well, of course there will be as soon as Marvel buys DC, which apparently is happening. So, oh yeah. yes, of course, you of know, course, yeah. can meld those characters together, no problem. <laughs> well, speaking of DC, what is your pick? Rotten? No, I'm only joking, Rotten. Ah, uh, speaking <laughs> of DC, what is your pick of the week? Uh, my pick of the week is, as you suggest, in your gloating fashion. <laughs> Got to take advantage of these things when it comes along. It's not uh, Lois Lane number nine. Um, by uh, by uh, Greg Rucka and it's Mike, Mike Perkins, Perkins yeah. yeah, and uh, it's Lois Lane's uh, the twelve issue maxi that uh, Greg Rucka is writing. I mean, I take the piss out of you about uh, you know being in the cult of King, but uh, I mean, I have to say there's a lot of books that I choose that are Greg Rucka and that you know follow the artist, follow the writer. That's it. That's it. So, uh, so we're we're. And you, you still haven't read his best work in Gotham Central. We will get you there. Well done. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, it's this is we're we're three quarters of the way through this series yeah. now, um, which is an interesting, I guess, uh, sister comic to uh, Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen, yeah. Uh huh. But uh, yeah, I mean the the whole the whole gist of the thing has been. Um, Lois and uh, Rennie Montoya, the question, uh, pursuing um, pursuing a mystery that is, involves the the killing of a, of a of a Russian reporter and so forth and so on. We're all set against the backdrop of uh, the world realizing that uh, or, well, it being revealed that, that Clark Kent is Superman and that Superman and Lois Lane are husband and wife and so forth and so on. Um, but this was just a really a really solid issue. We had the uh, we had last last issue the appearance of an assassin called Kiss of Death who apparently was intending to kill Lois. Uh, Lois is in desperate danger. You would expect the first thing that Lois does is go, actually, uh, Superman, any chance she can protect me? That's exactly the opposite of what Lois does. Um, you know, she's going, he's doing his thing, this is my thing. And that's the way it's been since the start. It's establishing... That, not that Lois, I think, needs established as, as being a character separate from Superman, but uh, that's effectively what, what she's doing. It's she almost worked. a way of backing up the whole idea that Clark reveals identity because he knows Lois doesn't need protecting, like she can handle herself, essentially. Yeah, so uh, we kick off with, uh, with Rennie Montoya on the roof of, uh, I guess it's uh, it's Gotham PD using the bat signal. You know, she uh, she hits the bat signal and uh, she <laughs> she's class. She's absolutely class. Um, she just holds out this, you know, Batman. She, you know, Batman is used to creeping up behind people, and he does. He he switches off the light, creeps up behind Rene. You know, she just hands him a, you know, just holds a note up going, <clears throat> take the note. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's effectively a note from Lois asking Batman to do a thing. You know, the, uh, the uh, conversation between them amounts to Batman saying, one hour, Rene going, 
Groovy. Um, so yeah it's uh it was just it was just a really solid uh, a really solid uh book um we have uh the um oh what did you call the the nun sister clarice uh you know she's uh she's hooked up with uh with this this woman who's known as as jessica who seems to be a lot more than she is she's uh, linked to the story in a sideways fashion. Um, we're back and forth between, uh, you know, this and the the exchange between Batman and the question. And uh, they're just their exchanges are fantastic. That makes me really want to see Greg Ruggo writing a team up between Batman, Batman and, the and the Rene Montoya question. Um, I definitely recommend Mike Perkins as the artist for it. Oh, yeah. The art, the art throughout this book is just... Lovely, it's nice and atmospheric. Atmospheric, yes. Uh, you should be talking about this book instead <laughs> of me. Uh, it's nice and atmospheric. Um, you know, they uh, there, there's some really. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like Renny. You know, the question she doesn't give a crap about. You know, Batman's reputation and you know all of that. He's talking about this kiss of death, and uh, Batman says there's an occult aspect to your mo. That's outside my expertise. May account for her deformity. Renny's like, you mean her lack of face? And they just look at each other and uh, you know of course the question is a character that uses a, a compound to cover her face to make it look like she has no face and uh, she's like you so want to say something like takes one to no one don't you <laughs> Batman just says yes <laughs> <laughs> she's like you should you'll feel better if you let it out I don't think so, <laughs> so yeah it's some great uh, some great uh, dialogue between the two of those um a big part of the thing is that the kiss of death has uh, so Lois has been living in this hotel. Lois had a had a cleaner in the hotel. Uh, it was a, a Latinx cleaner, and uh, the the kiss of death used used the cleaner's um, immigration status against Lois, and this poor woman has now been sort of locked up by the Department of uh, Homeland Security and her family's been locked up and so forth. So part of this is uh, Lois going to visit her to apologise for that. Um, you know, there's a there's a wee bit of uh, Greg Rucka's uh, politics coming through here as has, has been throughout the, the entire series, which largely has been, you know, about truth. Um, there was a wee bit about that earlier. There was a, a great monologue about three or four issues ago that I think I... I think I more or less read through. Um, so that, that continues. I mean, he's just, Greg Ruggett just seems to be such a switched on sort of an individual <laughs> when, it, when it comes to this stuff. Um, yeah, so I just, the, the story is just, it just continues. It's hard to talk about a story that's, you know, three quarters of the way yeah, through, so a, deep into through a maxi series. I think probably what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, the writing's fantastic, the art's fantastic. Uh, in three issues time this story will be finished it's going to make a great trade I don't know do we know are they going to trade these as 12 issues or as I think two six 12. issues Martian Manhunter is going to be 12 and it's the same sort of maxi series I think the exception is only Doomsday Clock because it took so long <laughs> to come out but no this has been uh, shipping regularly I would say this will be a 12 issue uh, graphic novel yeah it's uh, it's it's very very good um, it turns out that the, the girl known as Jessica who who couldn't quite remember who she was that Sister Clarice had, had tracked down uh, is an individual called Jessica Midnight who is a character that I do not know um, seems a wee bit uh, magic a wee bit Constantine-esque maybe um, but uh, yeah there's uh, effectively Rene Montoya, Lois Lane have, have enlisted 
uh, Jessica Midnight in order to use her magic to uh, to find the killer um, who is um, sort of towards the the centre of this whole thing. So, yeah, lovely. Great issue. Cool. Fantastic. Um, Going to make a fantastic trade. Something that I, w- that I will own in trade, definitely. Brilliant. Yeah. Raging, I didn't really pick it up and follow through mm. with it. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a slow burner at the yeah. start. We don't have loads of people on Lois Lane, but everyone who's on it's really digging it. Like, no one jumped on it and then jumped off it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the numbers sort of grew a little bit at the start. So, yeah, very, very well-written series. And I love that sort of whole investigative journalism within the world of superheroes. I think it's it's great stuff. So, well, There's definitely a bit, of a, a bit of a noir thing about it, which is something very that I so. know you love. It and speaking of which... What about the noir? <sighs> <laughs> Look at that! Seamless. Um, yes. Yeah, so here we go. Out. Bit of Marvel love for me. Uh, I'm going for Spider-Man Noir number one. Uh, this is by Margaret Stoll and Juan Ferreira. Uh, Margaret Stoll has written uh, Black Widow novels for Marvel. She's also done a series of novels called the Beautiful Creatures novels, and I believe she also had a Captain Marvel run as well. Juan Ferreira, we know from Punisher, Killmonger, and also did a series. Punisher Kill Crew. The very one. What a series. Um, It was a good series. And Green Arrow Rebirth, wasn't it? Yeah, he did uh, an arc called Hard Traveling Hero, I think it was. Gorgeous, gorgeous looking book. So this is, um, we're into volume two of Spider-Man Noir, uh, Marvel back in sort of late, late 2000s. Sort of 2008, 2009, created a noir universe, Keith. They did, yeah. They did. Um, do you know <laughs> the name the of the earth the noir universe is? Not a baldy. No. Ah, I thought you would know. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone guessing, Earth 90214. So I will quiz you next week on that and see if you remember. Um, but yeah, so Marvel came up with a lot of like four issue miniseries. X-Men, Daredevil, but I think the most popular one was Spider-Man Noir. Well, just probably, not, you continue, probably not Alan's favorite one, though. Just before you continue on that, I can see where this is going. <laughs> it, it's something that's totally at odds for me because it's Iron Man, but it's actually written by Scott Snyder. So actually, we'd like to go back and read it. These, great, he, these great creators who tackle Tony Stark. I mean, uh, Tom Taylor did it as well with Superior Iron Man. And I just can't bring you secretly here. love Iron Man, Alan? Mm. I think that's it. Apparently it's not a secret. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is... We are into volume two of Spider-Man Noir. This is New York City, 1939. Era of mobsters, monsters, crime and corruption. Was there not an original Spider-Man Noir? And then there was Spider-Man Noir, Eyes um, of the something. The, yeah, there's there's two of them. Yeah, two yeah. four issue miniseries. Yeah. Um, but this is, I believe in Marvel terms, it's volume two. Cool. Whereas the original ones all are in the same volume one. Um, but yeah, this, this follows on a really, really... I've really dug this book. I have a few nitpicky things that we'll get to at the end. But um, yeah, stunning. One one for Hours art is the thing that drew me to this book and it absolutely kills it. Obviously, noir books, I absolutely adore. There's a lot of blacks and whites. There's a lot of New York City back back in the day, in the ni- 1939, I believe. Uh, Peter Parker is a private eye, um, and I believe he gets his powers 
can't remember how it happens in the first one um something about a statue and all the yeah, spiders break out of yeah, it yeah there was something like, yeah spider. yeah that's some sort of a an, a scarab or an egyptian thing or a yeah uh, uh, that's, that yeah, could be it because yeah. there's a scarab sort of looking thing in this one um but yeah he's a he's a private eye and he's also he teams up with J. Jonah Jameson in this one there's a whole really there's a different relationship yeah. um I love first of all the first thing the first thing the thing that I really love about noir and detective noir is the fact that it's the narration mm-hmm. it's, it's I suppose it's the difference between the various versions of Blade Runner you know uh future noir but I think that backdrop you know the the idea of the detective you know narrating as he goes you know um it was raining that night the city didn't care <laughs> I, I really loved in this one actually there's a really like the attention to detail is brilliant because his narration is um the black the black thought bubbles but he's also got the wee goggles sitting on it too which i really enjoy yeah but yeah there's really nice wee cool moments like that um but he doesn't actually start off narrating it um he sort of talk talking to him, or it's the radio talking which is really interesting like yeah he's talking he's kind of talking see. to himself isn't he yeah um really stunning stuff so obviously war is looming on the horizon but the main crux of this issue is there's a uh, been a murder in the black the black cat which is a club um felicia hardy and norman osborne play a big part in the first one and i believe the black cloud Black Cat, Black Cat Club is also in the very first noir. Right, but um, it's been a long time since I read yeah, the first noir. Um, it's been a long, long, long time. But thing and thing I really, really enjoyed with this one. It certainly to me felt like maybe not an issue number one, but an issue zero, where a lot of things are happening. There's a lot of things happening before the story really kicks into. Gear. Yeah, we're introduced to this version of MJ yeah. and Aunt May, and I really, really enjoyed MJ's characterization. is really brilliant in this, and Aunt May's as well. Mm. Really loved Aunt May. Aunt May and MJ both know he's Spider-Man, yeah, which obviously turns everything on his head. Um, there was a really great piece of dialogue from Aunt May, which says, uh, basically, Peter, Peter, and J. Jonah Jameson find this body in the black cat club and peter's not too sure whether he finds a lead to the dead girl sister and the only lead he has is sort of a scaraby looking thing this the dead body was holding like an amulet or a necklace am- or something yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. um so he goes goes back to aunt may and he's like i don't know what to do here uh the the sister basically says well, I have a lead, but it's uh, it's across the ocean in Europe, so... Yeah, the sister turns out to be a curator at the museum, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, uh, Peter eventually finds a number of leads that, that send him in that direction, isn't that right? Yeah. Um, just, yeah, yeah, so there... And that, that uh, you know, I just think it's, it's really interesting. It's a totally different take. He's still, he's still going out to his Aunt May's house in Queens. He does spend <laughs> an inordinate amount of time standing under lamps yeah. and spotlights, <laughs> uh, which are very atmospheric and very, very much Detective Noir. And, you know, whenever he's, whenever he's got the mask off, you know, he's still sitting there in the waistcoat with the, with the, yeah. the double holsters. Collar up as yeah, well. You know, yeah, but he's got, you know, he's got the guns at the table, you know. So it's a very different Peter Parker, a very different Aunt May, a very different Mary Jane, but still uh, recognizably uh, the characters that you know and love. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was, was really uh, brilliant. Yeah. I think, I think that's what the book excels at, um, especially with Aunt May. There's a great, great 
part of dialogue that was I can only remind you of who you are I can't tell you I can't tell you what to do no one can so I thought that was really interesting it's like the responsibility is still entirely on Peter to to solve this murder and there's a there is a there's a a piece of dialogue in here where someone says about grip grip power mm-hmm. you know uh, isn't there I can't remember quite what it is, but yeah, you know, we'll get it's to It's like it. it's the the great part about like the noir and Elseworlds and that sort of thing is like twisting it on on its head, you yeah, know, and yeah, playing yeah. with those conventions. Um, other things I really enjoyed in it. There was obviously it's a lot of it's mostly black and white, but there's I don't want to say the Sin City thing of picking out little colors, yeah, yeah. but um, I loved MJ's hair is just like a beacon of like red. <laughs> oh, well, MJ is the redhead, like. There's certain things that you're like your eyes drawn to, like her red hair. There's like a lot of there's red dresses. It's there's, always raining. It's always raining. <laughs> <laughs> there's the cop, the blue and the blue and the red sort of cop car sirens. Um, yeah, fantastic book. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Juan Ferreira's art is just you have to be have to see it. They take the opportunity to uh, to use an awful lot of uh, of tropes, um, you know, from these sorts of. Uh, these sorts of stories and these sorts of movies of that period, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, long coats, you know, one of your Spider-Man, you know, flying through the air, long coats, an awesome thing. Mm-hmm. It makes us almost like Batman's cape. Um, you know, there's scenes of... What do you, what do you call the Nighthawks at the diner? Nighthawks at the that, diner, yeah, yeah. It's definitely referenced there. There's, there's a great scene of, you know, uh, just that classic uh, noir trope of the, you know, the, the hero and the... the the delicate female hanging off yeah. of him, you know, and that sort of... You think Humphrey Bogart... Yeah, yeah, all of that, all of that stuff, yeah. as, as out of date as it may be. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's still very much as, as, a, as emblematic of these sorts of but, movies yeah, to, and books. To be and, fair, they do turn it on its head, because MJ they do, and yeah. are like the... Yeah, they do. Pretty much the strongest characters in this. So you were saying about... Um, with great power comes great res- obviously responsibility is Aunt May that actually says it oh yeah yes yeah, yeah. after they were attacked outside her house and um, MJ obviously her eyes were sort of she couldn't see and it's um, they're in the bathroom and they're talking he's trying to decide what to do whether to go on this lead and it's when she's and he's like he goes I get it Aunt May so he knows what he has yeah, to do yeah 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 he knows the crack yeah uh-huh. But yeah, um, basically it ends with, uh, so he knows what he has to do and basically Spider-Man's going to get a bit more European. He's going to take a, well, that a was, vacation. That's also, you know, <laughs> that's also class because we have, uh, you know, our Spider-Man, you know, the Spider-Man we know and love is the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but he makes the decision to leave his neighborhood. But that's the other thing that's also about these movies, the thing that casts, you know, in these, the, you know, noir, the thing that casts your mind back to the Indiana Jones movies, you know, is the idea of the plane flying over the map, you know, and the, the photographs of where they end up. So, yeah, I love this. This was a, gr- it was a great book. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. Um, only thing is for me, this is like such a minor thing, but... Um, Here comes the nitpicks. Uh, I'm just going to complain That's okay, so much, it's a review but, um, show. See the cover? Yeah. The cover is sort of indicative of what is going to happen in issue two. Mm, I, I think it would be a fantastic graphic yeah. novel cover, but I'm kind of thinking it doesn't really set the tone for what you're going to get in it the is, first one. It's, a, it's, a, it's based on a classic noir style yeah, uh, or it's like something. It's like a, a cover from the shadow. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah sure. you know. So the style of it is very much. Uh, 
But I mean, it's gorgeous. I'm not yeah, locking it. But I see what you mean. It does sort of it does have a few spoilers then, on there. What else? What else did I have? Let me get my list out here. Um, yeah, only the only thing is, see when you're reading a book like this and it's black and white and it's all about mood. The ads, the color ads, they're really hard to take. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, like okay. it is what it is. But it for me sometimes I'm just like when it's, you turn the page and it's like oh, it's after the middle know, page and then you get that. The, oh yeah, the, the double spread page is yeah. like, come on. Yeah, I think I think though that that's what that does is it shows you just how much atmosphere they've created with this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. the, the writer and the artist have just really gone to town to to make to, to really go deep into that atmosphere. So that's why it is yeah, so jarring. I th- yeah, I think that's a fair enough point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's no, interesting no, that, that, that you're it. yeah your yeah. pick of the week is a is a real it's a real sideways one. A real, uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not a core Marvel title. Yeah, it's it's only uh, because it's set during World War Two. Given your his love of historical yes, fiction, shall we say? No, I mean, I find it really yeah. interesting that it's set in 1939. America obviously hasn't entered the war yet, mm-hmm. but yet Spider-Man is going across to Europe, where the war has very much started. Um, so again, obviously, living up to the old mantra, the great power, great responsibility part. Um, what I really loved about it was that it was a noir story first and superhero second, rather than a superhero story with trying to do noir. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I, yeah, he, he kind of Spider Man isn't Spider Man the hero front and center. He's a detective. He's a mm-hmm. private. He's a private dick. You know, and that's what he's. You know, that's what he uses his powers for. Um, interesting. Yeah. No, I think that was a, a unanimous uh, impressed yeah, crowd around definitely. the table for uh, Spider Man Noir number one. Is there, because I heard you say um, issue zero, is there one before this then? No, I felt this should be an issue zero. I felt like... Ah, uh, okay. I, I don't know, it was really, for me, it was really, there was a lot of setup and that was really good, but I felt it was like, this was the story before all the the, the story the drop, happens, yeah. you know? I mean, there, um, is a, there, is a, there is a Spider-Man noir, a couple of Spider-Man noir series before this. Which are really um, worth checking out. The, yep. fir- the first one, I think I have them both, but I can't for the life of me tell you anything about the second one. But Most importantly, do you read this Spider-Man noir in Nicolas Cage's voice? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the important <laughs> detail here. Because he was the voice in Edge of Spider-Verse, the movie. Oh yeah, of course he Spider-Man was. Spider-Man noir. And the, maybe, is that one of the reasons why we're getting a Spider-Man noir series? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got characters from all of that Spider-Verse. There's a Spider-Ham series at the moment. There's Miles Spider-Gwen. Miles. Miles Morales. Miles Morales. Mm. So, so pretty much every character. Um, the only one that hasn't got their own book is Penny Parker, I would say. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, just obviously with the movie doing so well as well. So, so yeah, it's an even split this week. Two DC, two Marvel as picks of the week. Poor Indy. Oh, poor Indy. Don't worry, there's plenty of Indy uh, delights to come as well. So we'll uh, just take a very quick break and then we'll be back with Honourable Mentions. <laughs> And we're back again and on to our honourable mentions for the week. So again, these are just sort of the best of the rest from what came out on the uh, the 4th of March. So we'll do it uh, by publisher. So for me, anyway, this was a, it was definitely a lighter DC week. As, as everybody who knows me knows, I, I sort of have a preference for the DC stuff. But uh, there were still a couple, of, a couple of great titles worth chatting about. Uh, Batman 90 being the first. Now, Batman 90 was one of my favourites of the week. It was something I was really looking forward to. Uh, Jorge Jimenez coming on as artist on Batman for the first time ever. He did a lot of work in Snyder's Justice League stuff. He's worked on Super Sons. 
uh, fantastically talented artist. Um, he did showcase the art from the front cover a little while back, and it's just yeah, just very atmospheric, epic, big, colorful, detailed, larger than life characters. So this is continuing on the uh, the storyline. Uh, Tinian James Tinian the fourth has been working on I their dark designs. Love James Tinian and Jimenez on Batman. <clears throat> I I didn't think that uh, you know following on from Tom King, I, I thought that would be a difficult a difficult thing to do. But this, taking it in their stride, very they quickly. really yeah. are big style. This was a great issue. This was my favorite issue of. Uh, of Tinian's Batman so far, yeah. and I have said that with every issue that has come out. It's been uh, with the preceding <laughs> issues. How yeah. could you say that about the first one, 86? This is my favourite Tinian issue so far. <laughs> well, it's very easy because it was the only one. <laughs> it was easy. That's 100% success rate. But yeah, I agree. I think this was the best issue so far. So with this one, we're delving into the past of a character called the designer. And uh, Selena is also trying to admit to Bruce like about her checkered past and this is one thing she's always kept from him. So the, the whole issue is essentially her telling him the story and then it um, segueing back to that. There is a little brief scene at the start with uh, Harley Quinn uh, chasing Deathstroke on a bike with a lot of bat drones. So that this is how upside down this world has become now. Harley Quinn is almost an ally. Well, she's, sit, she's sitting there in the Batcave. Yeah. Um, I trust, uh, I trust um, Alfred Light is... Is watching on. Um, what do you call him, Lucius Fox? Lucius. Yep. You know, you would think with the Batcave and all its technology and all the rest, it wouldn't have a uh, a joypad that still needs a wire to function. But anyway, uh, he's old school. He's old school. Yeah. So it needs again, to charge. It needs my. It well, needs to charge. Could be that. It could be that. Uh, but yeah, so it's delving into the past of this character called the Designer. So a lot of the issue is set in the past, and it's to do with uh, Catwoman, Joker, Riddler, and Penguin all being invited. Uh, to meet this guy, the designer, who can essentially help them with any plan that they have for Gotham. Uh, it all starts off quite mystical. You know, there's they're brought to this house by boat. Uh, this house has a very sort of haunted house type look to it. Uh, you know, it's fantastically atmospheric. And it's interesting because you're sort of seeing these characters in their, quote, younger days. You know, Selena says this is... Not right at the start, but almost at the start. It's clearly before the War of Jokes and Riddles. Oh, big time. You know, they're standing side by side. And it's interesting because I almost look at this issue as a quasi-origin story for just how bad the Joker becomes. Well, the, the I mean, the gist of what they're, what they're saying here with the designer is that this is part of the reason that the Joker became... It, it, I guess it's maybe the, it's the difference between the... Uh, uh, what do you call him? The Caesar Romero Joker. Yeah, the sort of and, court jester. And and the the comic book yeah. Joker. You know the this was the this was the changing point um, yeah. when he met the designer and and what happened. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's some you know quite playful dialogue and stuff like that. Joker's not taking it seriously. Um, you know, he says at one point, "Oh, Ozzy, I thought this was going to be boring. I didn't realize you got us tickets to the circus." And he also comes up with a great line as well. You know, this is a line that's used in, in fiction a lot, which is where someone says to another one, oh, your reputation precedes you. And the Joker goes, that's the whole point of a reputation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't defended this clue who you are. So, so yeah, the whole issue is based around the idea, as I say, that the designer can help them um, put in place any plans that they have for the city, whether it's heists, whether it's takeovers, all that kind of stuff. 
and they'll go in one by one by one and then the Joker's the last one to go in and it's worth uh, I mean the the designer sort of reveals who who he is or not who he is but what he is yeah uh, that in his youth you know he uh, as a I guess he was a villain uh, of some kind but in his youth he faced a young advers- adversary much like uh, your own referring to Batman uh, the finest detective this world has ever seen and I, it got me thinking I went is this guy like Moriarty is this mm. you know is this you know he, was the adversary talking about Sherlock Holmes or you know whenever they talk about the finest detective the world has ever seen that was the, that was the first place my mind went yeah uh, maybe because I've been rewatching uh, Star Trek The Next Generation and Data oh, has a huge well known Moriarty show <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> one of the best episodes of the first season features Moriarty um but uh, that's an aside, uh, you know. And in, in the beginning, he thought it, he thought of him as a nuisance. Uh, you know, I was he was after real intangible assets, and he was merely a fly in the ointment. And eventually, his entire career uh, revolved around foiling the detective. You yeah. know, and then he just he realized that that he had to make whenever he made plan, he had to make a plan that took into account the fact that the detective would defeat the plan, and that that he had then had to account for the how the, the defective the detective defeated the plan and yeah. so on and so on until he became yeah, the master on, yeah exactly the master designer of you know so uh, I thought so I think you know they talk about the last issue of you know the what is it the, the, you know the the Joker's new apprentice the Joker's mm-hmm. new I think this character is much more interesting yeah big time I would say um, he looks so awesome yeah, very well designed character, sort of a oh, mixture of. I see what you did there. Uh, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, very much a mix of different eras. You know, it's almost like pirate boots. It's commando sort of pants. It's very sort of big, extravagant looking shoulder pads, and you know, it's it's whenever, a really interestingly designed character in general. Whenever you see him in his own flashback, he's fencing yeah. with the detective, uh, which is kind I was of interesting. Too. Of Curse of White Knight. Yes, at that point. absolutely. So yeah. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so it's essentially whatever the Joker said to him when he was telling him his plan essentially turns the designer against them and he decides that he's going to kill them all. So he's going to kill Riddler, Catwoman, Penguin, uh, as well as Joker. But despite the fact that when they first came into the house, the designer made them give up all their weapons, uh, the uh, the Joker had actually kept one and sort of goes like, well, looks like I forgot one of my guns, silly old me, and shoots him in the head. Now... The reason this is also relevant is because the designer's card has come back into their lives mm-hmm. and Selena's sort of thinking, well, I saw him die in front of me. So the character instantly takes on a very mythical uh, property as well. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, there's already that, that, that whole idea that, you know, the, the, the boatman came for them and he was the he was the boatman of the River Stikes and they had this cross the stikes to get to the designer's uh, abode, which was like this house and a platform floating in the middle of, yeah. you know, this body of water, I guess. I mean, I, I've always assumed that um, Gotham is sort of Chicago and Chicago sits on Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is sort of, where, I mean, I don't know, is there a, is, does, does, does Gotham sit on a lake? Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, so yeah, so that that has a mythical thing going on as well. There, there was something, as you said, mythical, mysterious. Um, yeah, there's something more going on. I mean, and also, if this guy's a master, if this guy's the designer, mm-hmm. do you not think that he's already designed this meeting? 
was a part of his yeah he's already he already yeah 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 yeah, exactly exactly so he already knew that the joker had his had his weapon he already knew that he was going to get shot in the head yeah or seemingly so so yeah and then of course it uh it ends with uh the sort of big revelation you know where selena's trying to admit to to bruce what her plan was and at that time obviously this was early on their career her and bruce weren't involved all that kind of stuff but her plan was that she would steal the Wayne family fortune. What is interesting is that, um, you know, so at, at the end, Batman's obviously worried because he says, if the designer still has your plans, I'm essentially about to lose everything. But what's interesting is that before Selena can actually tell him what it is, he's worked it out. You know, th- this Batman is a real dick at this point. He's very much on the edge, obviously having lost Alfred and you know, all these cracks appearing in his psyche and all this kind of stuff. So he let her basically expose her whole soul. Uh, and then just went, yeah, I know what you're about to tell me. Don't worry about it. I'm about to lose everything, right? I'm out of here. And then he you know, fires off the grappling hook and <laughs> goes away. So they're, they're writing a really interesting Batman. She's in no, no good for him anyway, Alan. A very distant Batman in this. Um, no, she is. <laughs> I've read Batman Annual 2. Batman Annual 2 is no, where joking. it's all about. But yeah. but yeah, no, I'm really digging what Tinian's doing now. It's uh, I think we spoke about it in the previous previous podcast that I never really... Certainly the first couple issues, I wasn't looking forward to it as an event, the way that the Tom mm-hmm. Keane stuff was, but now I am. Like, the issue ends, and I'm thinking, right, happy days wins the next one. So, uh, hopefully coming on the 18th. Hopefully. Hmm. So, yeah, that was Batman 90. Uh, another DC issue that week, certainly, that uh, you enjoyed, Keith. Second DC issue of the evening from me. That's uh, two for two for me. Yeah, um, this podcast after this review, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, is uh, this your third? Well, suppose Lewis Batman Lane, was, Batman. Yeah, was, that's yeah. fair, fair. Yeah, okay, all right, three for three. Mr. Right. DC over here. Okay, are you, you in danger of losing your crown, Alan? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's the extra size, spectacular, 80 page giant flash number 750 uh, by Joshua Williamson and a whole wreck of folks. Um, <laughs> So obviously they're doing a lot of these 80th anniversary uh, things. They've done Catwoman, they've done Joker, isn't that right? Not out yet, but Catwoman's coming out, Joker's coming out, Green Lantern's coming out. uh, Wonder Woman was Wonder Woman was three weeks ago. The seven fifty ones, yeah. So, so yeah, there's uh, it's it's one of those um, compilation dealios. Ah, mixtape. Yeah, mixtape. It's a a, anthology. Anthology. That's the that's the deal. So beautiful square binding as well. Mm. You know. It's nice. It's nice. Yeah, DC do those well. Nice well, square well, binding and like a Marvel boys. You know? Nice square binding and a and a and a regular size comic book. Um, <laughs> no <laughs> other black label titles this week. Don't worry. So there's a number of different stories. There's six stories in here, in addition to a whole uh, load of pinups. There's six pinups uh, falling between the stories. Uh, the first story is the regular Flash team: uh, Joshua Williamson, Rafa uh, Sandoval, and uh, Steven Segovia. And it's the start of the Flash Age Part 1, so this is the story that will be continuing in the ongoing Flash series. I mean, the 750 is part of the Flash series, but it being, you know, issue 750, it's it's more of an event, you know. But, yeah, uh, but yeah the, the lead story is the one that uh, that will will continue. And it, it starts off with, I guess, the people of, uh, of um, is it Central City? Central City, uh, you know, talking about how the Flash has changed their lives. Iris is interviewing them, various people saying, oh... Flash changed my life this way and that way. Um, meanwhile, Barry is sort of rounding up in his narrative how the how things have gone, you know, over Williamson's run. 
um, you know, what's going on, where they find themselves now, um, and setting up the story to come, which involves a villain called Paradox, who we've been introduced to the origin of over the past. Uh, Paradox has been a, a villain who's been in the background for maybe the past year or so. Um, and we've just recently found out who he is and, and what he intends and his intention is to effectively not just wipe out the Flash, but wipe out uh, the Flash family and the Flash's entire continuity uh, because the Flash effectively destroyed his family um, inadvertently. Um, so yeah, so the, the, there's that going on and to doing in doing so he has enlisted Godspeed who is a former... Uh, former friend of the Flash um, a former cop named August who uh, developed speed powers and became a, a villain called Godspeed um, or a villain sometimes sometime villain sometime hero called Godspeed so yeah so that's that's the lead story there's some great uh, some great pinups throughout by Howard Porter by Evan Doc Shanner by Mike McCone by Mitch Gerrards by Dale Eaglesham and by <coughs> Carrie Randolph um, so some lovely, uh, some lovely pinups, uh, you know, through here by people who we've talked about already, particularly Doc Shanner and uh, Mitch Gerrards uh, today. So yeah, the um, Mitch Gerrards one's quite nice because isn't it Flash as a young boy? Uh, yes, a little boy wearing a Flash T-shirt. And yes, was, that's right. And yeah. uh, he based the design of that character on his son. That's right. And yeah, he posted a video on Instagram yesterday of his son reading the comic. Ah, lovely. Some sort of stopped. I went. Is that is that me, Dad? Uh Good boy. Ah, class. (laughs) Good stuff. Um, There's a great uh, Captain Cold story called Beer Run. Um, There's uh, as you get with these sort of these sort of books. There's sort of various interesting wee stories that uh, that touch upon various bits and pieces. the uh, the most important one I think is the story at the very end, uh, which is the flash forward epilogue by Scott Lobdell and Brett Booth, obviously the creative team between behind Flash Forward, uh-huh. which has proven to be the most important story in the DC universe uh, over the past year or so. Um, I think because it uh, rounds up everything from Heroes in Crisis and everything from Doomsday Clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, Wally West, who used to be the Flash. He used to be the fastest man alive. And now he sits in the Mobius chair imbued with the powers of a god and through it possesses the knowledge of the multiverse and very much more because he is now the DC Universe's Dr. Manhattan. Uh, As you can see from his lovely blue costume and uh, the atom symbol on his head. Um, So yeah, it it, it sort of goes backwards through. It's, It's Wally going through his path and his personal history from where he is now and and uh And, and I think it's setting out what's what's going forward. Um, you know, the space-time reality is broken. I think this is uh, a wee precursor to Generation Zero and Generation One and Generation Five or G5 or whatever they're calling it, if, if it's still going to happen. it's still going to happen. Again, you see, it seems to me like if it wasn't going to happen, they had plenty of time to pull this epilogue out of, mm. out of this book. You know, and and put something else in, or, or, uh, but it's very, very, very much uh, a prologue to uh, to what's going to happen, um, and it ends it up ends up with, you know, uh, what do you call him, uh, Tempest, Temp, the, the 
Tempest Fujinot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's yeah. going, you know... On from Flash Forward. Yeah, he's he's imploring Wally to, can you stop it? Can you reverse the damage done? And he's like, my name is Wally West. I'm the fastest man alive. I sit in the Mobius chair. The power of a god races through me. So, yeah, I got this. You know, bye and... Bye-bye, Dan, the deep. And it says, to be continued in May's Generation Zero. There you are. Yeah. We're still mm. waiting for possible... Uh, announcements regarding that we did notice that with the solicitations for June that Generation 2 was strangely absent so mm. uh, yeah something definitely to keep an eye on with that uh, so yeah that was that was pretty much us for, for DC this week uh, there were a few Marvel picks I believe including a controversial one first up fight guys lay it down make your, make your cases well to be honest I, I'd kind of forgotten about it which shows <laughs> Like shows just how much my whole show, intro here. so there'll be no fighting. But I don't think I was as down on it as Keith was. But okay. it's yeah. another anthology. You are of course talking about Marvel number one. Yep. So if you don't know, we've obviously raved about Marvel. Did a book club on it. Talked about the annotated versions at length. This is not that. No, it's not. <laughs> so Marvel. Let me just tell you quickly. Uh, this is not that. Alex Ross, Kurt Busiek, um, one of the greatest books of all time. Agreed. I feel we've had a lot of um, Marvel's related content. I feel this is probably the breaking point for many. It is for somebody else. I mean, we, yeah, I mean, so we've had the that that we've been celebrating the 80th anniversary. You know, last year. It was last year. Yeah. Um, and the 80th anniversary is, it's, I mean, it's been all about the invaders, you know, the original, you know, all winner squad and, you know, all of that good stuff. Um, so this, the, the introduction to this is 30 years ago, Alex Ross had a vision of a new series showing the Marvel heroes in a way they'd never been seen before. The first realization of that idea became the blockbuster Marvels. But as we know from sort of reading a lot of the, the back matter and Marvels, that wasn't really what Alex Ross's original vision was. What happened was he teamed up with Kurt Busiek and his original vision became better mm. than it was. Um, I, I feel anyway, you know, he had, a, he had a great idea for an anthology story, but uh, I guess, you know, the idea of seeing seeing the heroes from the point of view of the everyday you know the the everyman, Phil, Phil yeah, Sheldon, yeah, yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, and 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 that, that team up between Ross and Basic sort of brought that forth, you know. But what this is is Alex Ross bringing his original version of an anthology of stories by unique, exceptional talents, many of whom are doing Marvel characters for the very first time. Um, Alex Ross's quote is basically: "I thought of heroes of mine whom I'd like to see do anything with, with." Marvel characters. Each story will be whatever the creator had an idea for, usually focusing on Marvel characters they were interested in with no real limits. The stories can be considered real or apocryphal. They can only serve to reflect a creative impulse. So that none of this is in continuity. This yeah, is just, yeah. you know. And I think for me, that's that's why I kind of forgot about it. I read it and I was like, yeah, it, was, it was gorgeous, but there's nothing consequential about it. The great thing about Marvels is you're grounded in it you're you're looking you're looking at the book but you you feel like you're looking up to these characters you're seeing all these things for the first time um this is great there's lovely artist lovely art in it but it's almost like 
it's too abstract and I feel it yeah, would work. Yeah. But I don't think it should be attached to the Marvel's name or the Marvel name, you know. Well, we're, I feel there's a there's a, a there's a thing going on at the minute. There's we've got Marvel's X, which is the prequel to Earth X, which you're reading now, I know. Yeah. Um there's this, which is called Marvel. There's Marvel Spotlight, which is <laughs> sort of much more in line with the original um, Marvels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's something else which also has the Marvel name, you know, and so it could be quite, uh, <laughs> you know, confusing, I guess, mm-hmm. in a way. I think I think they've also, like, I feel like they did a, a disservice, and especially what you were saying, because they all have the same sort of cover. Uh-huh. The, that Alex Ross cover. Oh, it's the Marvel snapshots. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this, like, if it was called something else, like, we've seen stuff be really successful in comics. Like, do you know, this is kind of like the same vibe as Alien 3, the, do you know, the, the alternative Alien 3 comic. And uh, we've seen this be really successful, but I believe, uh, I don't know about this one. And, like, I... Uh, I read it and, like I was saying, I forgot about it. I forgot I was even on my yeah. list. Yeah, like, I mean, Kurt, Kurt Busiek writes a story in this. Um, Frank Espinosa. Um, I'm looking forward to um, Daniel Kuna and Mark Weir and Gene Ha and Lee Bermeo. But mm-hmm. I would have been, but I'm not. After this, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not keeping it on. You know what? I'm not. I'm not. Cut. It's uh, it's it's just, it's not, uh, you know, it, it, the Alex Ross has has written the, you know, the what do they call the Freeman story, mm-hmm. and and Alex Ross has drawn the Freeman story, but it's not, it's not, it's not Marvels. That's yeah, not what it I is. Think, I think just the thing, it, it's not what you're expecting, but I also don't believe it's. It doesn't have that same engagement, you know? Yeah, exactly. I wasn't engaged. And whenever something's out of continuity, then I sort of start to go, well, what's the point? Mm. You know? Um, so there, there, there's not enough. It's out of continuity, so I'm already asking that question. And then what I read, although the Freeman story is beautiful and the, the Kurt Busiek story was interesting, uh, just there's not enough to hold me. There's not enough to hold me, I'm afraid. Mm. The cover was gorgeous, of course. DC title of the week DC raving about titles And then cuts a Marvel title Jeez. What is happening You weren't on that one Alan were you No no I wasn't uh, I have to say I probably should have been given my uh, My love of Marvels itself But uh, no that was one I think we sold out of it really quickly So I just didn't have a chance to grab it But um, well from one that you weren't too impressed with To one I'm guessing you both are impressed with Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we are a team now. <laughs> Marvel team up right here. Um, so yeah, uh, Doctor Doom, Christopher Camwell, Salvador La Roca, and just fantastic. Doctor Doom. This one, he uh, he goes on a road trip. This is a road movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, Doctor so Doctor Doom and Kang. So good. Uh, yeah, it's 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 very very good. And like, um. The thing about this book, they've managed to not only make he's not funny. Like funny things happen around him. He's not like a funny character, obviously. But they, there's like there's an empathy to him, and there's a human quality, and he. For all, like we say, about it's a really funny book. It's like we see his motivation quite a lot in this one. Um, it's a road movie where uh, Doctor Doom, he basically he finds out there's a weapon in Texas. 
isn't there? And it's a weapon he needs to take back Latveria. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, they, they have few resources, I guess. So they're journeying. As he is a fugitive. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And, uh, yeah, they can't, you know, they can't use their technology to get across, across space, across time, across space to, you know, across America to get where they need to go. So they, they travel, they travel, they hitchhike. Um, <laughs> That's, I never thought I'd see Dr. Doom and Kang hitchhiking across America in a story that made that sort of a thing that is relevant. <laughs> you know, um, at one stage, this per uh, this per obo, you know, climbs up the, you know, swings onto the rails and swings onto the car, and he's expecting to find a couple other hobos as he he, <laughs> he gets out of the box car and. You know, he's like, greetings, gent. Name's Tom. Mightn't I share a car with you for the evening? <laughs> he's ejected through the roof of the car at high speed. <laughs> you know, there's another state, another state where a couple of good old boys pull up in a truck, you know, and uh, they end up regretting that. Mm. Um, there's a lovely scene on a, on a boat crossing a lake, you know, where uh, the two of them are, the two Kang and Dr. Doom are, are uh, are talking, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, Kang says, why do you even bother to help me? Uh, and, uh, Doom says, I've explained, I will conquer the world you save. Kang says, I will save no world. Uh, uh, Doom's, oh no, other way around, sorry. Um, my mistake. Uh, Doom says, why do you bother to help me? I've explained, I will conquer the world uh, you save. Doom says, I will save no world. Uh, Kang says, "No, you've seen the utopia I create. Uh, you've also uh, you've also seen a future where Earth is overrun by a cohort of mechanized dinosaurs. True. Still, wherever Doctor Doom stands, there exists a lust for power, one I can use to my advantage." <laughs> Doom says, "I think you're just lonely." <laughs> Kang says, "You're the one who's lonely." Doom says, "A moronic assumption, as I am a misanthrope." <laughs> Kang says, "A misanthrope who whimpers for, for with homesickness." <laughs> Doom says, better than a fitted fool who has no footing in time or space. Kang says, inside that armor is a toadfish romantic with a cardboard spine and a skull devoid of anything save burnt <laughs> cotton candy. The two of them look at each other, laugh <laughs> for a panel. And Doom says, I will destroy you, Kang. <laughs> Kang says, I will destroy you first, Victor. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant yeah, stuff. Yeah, very, 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 very good stuff. Um, his his visions have like kind of vanished though that's what I was thinking yeah that um, is interesting yeah um, I don't know if they're going to touch upon that and I'm I'm kind of thinking it's going to end sooner than maybe we thought possibly like, possibly uh, but we'll, we'll see we'll see it, it seems to be coming to a point coming to a we'll see we're at issue 6 I don't know is this going to be a 12 is it going to be a 10 could be I don't know he has to he, has, he is obviously going back to Latveria but and we're you know we're past the, the initial story of the of the black hole and the moon and, and all of that sort of stuff so it seems to have moved on to this you know this the first five issues sort of covered that now Doom is moving back to reclaim Latveria you know yeah. so yeah great I love Salvatore Lorca's art it's gorgeous, gorgeous absolutely fantastic it? very clean very clean Good clean lines. Good clean lines. Yeah. Yep. Well, you might as well go from one doctor to another then. Oh, perfect. I like what you did there, Alan. <laughs> um, fantastic. This, this seems to be... We're, we seem to be staying on this side of the table here, Roddy. Mm. <laughs> you know? Don't worry, um, Marvel finishes off strong for me after this. <laughs> uh, Mark Wade and uh, Kev Walker's Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme, number four. Um, and uh, it... Uh, 
It's a story, a one-issue story called uh, Druid Resurgent. So Dr. Druid um, is the head of... So the, I guess the the, uh, the theme of this story now is Dr. Strange now has his hands back, so he's dividing his life between being Sorcerer Supreme and being the, the top neurosurgeon in the world, um, having done a deal with the devil, um, which is referenced in Ghost Rider this week as well. <laughs> Uh, interestingly, you know, where Mephisto effectively goes to Johnny Blaze here, you know, he hasn't been trying to get you out of hell. He actually did a deal with the demon himself, and Johnny's like, "What?" <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is is a is a one shot. The story up until now has been about this uh, magic. Um, there's there's some magic black market weapons on the on the on the sale on the market someone's been creating these things but it turns out they're creating them by stealing stuff from Doctor Strange's forge um, but this is a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a sideways to that um, so uh, say we see Doctor Strange dividing his life between uh, his his day job and his his other job um, and having trouble doing that uh, he's called in um, he's called in at the last minute there's a there's a dude just about to uh yeah, Doctor. Uh, what do they call him, Doctor Tomorovich? Uh, they're waiting for Strange. Strange doesn't. Get, he's not there in time. Doctor Tomorovich steps in, and uh, there's a there's some sort of a a degeneration of the cerebral cerebral cortex, causing severe seizures. Doctor Strange was scheduled to do an emergency hemispherectomy. Uh, he's done them before. Have you? He's like, no, but I can do it now. Doctor Strange arrives just in time, scrubs up, you know, and says, Tomorovich, hand me the laser. <laughs> you know, so uh, Doctor Strange goes to work. Uh, and, you know, in the background, we've, uh, you know, we've, we've got the struggles between him and his director at the hospital. Who's going, where were you? You know, she knows, she knows about his life as Doctor Strange, obviously, uh, as, as the Sorcerer Supreme, you know, and there's, there's some stuff going on there. There seems to be a wee bit of a relationship developing between them. Uh, you know, and she asks him a bit about uh, Doctor Druid, Anthony Ludgate, who is himself a a, uh, a qualified qualified psychiatrist, but is now the, the head of this hospital. Uh, he was supposed to be dead. He, you know, Doctor Druid was was also a a student of the Ancient One. Doctor, he, he was revealed in the first one, wasn't he? Uh, was yeah, it? yeah, yeah. So there, there's there's just there's been a lot of questions around him uh, around. Uh, what's going on, why he's back and so forth. Um, but anyway, Doctor Strange is pulled into another operation, a John Doe, um, who who needs immediate brain surgery and it turns out to be a trap. Um, and Stephen realises this, you know, as soon as he uh, opens the guy and, and digs into his, his brain, um, uh, he realises that, that, that the individual who's operating on is a demon, that the demon's brain is effectively a magical explosive and that his um, scalpel going into the brain is going to is going to cause that explosion to go off and destroy the entire hospital and everybody in it. Um, so uh, what happens is Stephen puts he starts surgery and then the demon's brain effectively grabs the scalpel to try and pull it into the brain to set off the explosive and Stephen's holding it with his, with his two hands, you know, and meanwhile he psychically reaches out to the only other person he knows in the vicinity who is a magician, who is Dr. Druid. So he's reaching out to him and going, Anthony, I need you right now. <laughs> you know, I don't necessarily trust you. So there's this, it's it's really fantastic. The, You know, it's, it's one of those, it, it puts a ticking clock on the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, will, will they figure it out? Will Dr. Druid be able to help Dr. Strange before 
you know, little by little, the scalpel's been pulled into the brain, and as soon as the scalpel hits home, the explosion goes off. Um, it was a fantastic um, mechanism to add tension to the book. Um, and yeah, so, you know, they they don't have time to evacuate the hospital. They just need, you know, Dr. Druid needs to do his best to help doctors as Stephen's just holding on to this bloody scalpel, trying to make sure it doesn't slip, you know, a little bit. So it was, it was just, it was, it was great. Uh, just a great, a great issue. Effectively, Doctor Druid is able to channel channel the explosion up to, up to the roof of the hospital. You know, which is where his garden and whatnot is, and and that. So it's it it was just a great high high, highly tense issue. Um, Kev Walker and Mark Wade are doing a great job, and Doctor Strange. Mark Wade's been on Doctor Strange for quite some time now, despite the fact we're only four issues into this particular series, uh, and then the. Uh, you know, the last page throws us back onto the scent of the, the 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 magical black market for weapons that's that's going on. So, highly recommend this series. Very very well written. Mark Wade is, um, he's an elder statesman of the craft. You know, he knows what he's doing. Um, so again, following a creator, doing a great character. Uh, not a not a not a character I've always been interested in, but whenever he's been written well. Well, again, as you said, subscribes to the whole theory of following the creators. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that's. I mean, the, the the next book up is a marriage of both of those things. Because for me, I will always follow this character, but I'll also follow the creator. Uh, so it's it's time for our weekly uh, Chipsadarsky appreciation corner. <laughs> uh, seems to be hard to ignore. He seems to have something good out every week. But uh, yeah, just continuing fantastic work on Daredevil, uh, number nineteen. Marco Cicchetto on art once again. Uh, I don't want to go into this uh, issue too much uh, uh, in detail because just anybody who's not reading it, I really do recommend it, trading it at the very least. But uh, essentially, the the whole issue boils down to the Strongmans who are this power uh, family in New York. Oh, I hate them. Yeah, they. I mean, they're they're so evil that even Wilson Fisk doesn't know how to handle them. But and this is the this is the although it is a continuing arc. This is the first part of a two-part. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Sadarsky say he's just having a laugh with us. He, he, they're not really story arcs; it's all one big arc. But he has to sort of cut it down every so often, that sort of thing. But <clears throat> I was gonna say it just felt like it was a continuous oh, story. It's just, like it's the, it's, it's the next issue. Like sometimes you you get stories that obviously one arc finishes, the new arc completely mm. goes in a different turn. Whereas this is just it's just straight. It's yeah. just it knows They've, what it is. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you've probably if you look back, you probably find there's a there's like a f- how many parts were the previous story? Uh, seven. Seven. I think it seven. Was. So yeah. you can probably collect that in a trade. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there maybe be a two and a three and a four. You know what I mean? Yeah, a couple in there. Yeah, mm. they're, they're probably just going chip. Any chance? Could you just work <laughs> with us here? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the the crux of the story is the Strowmans have essentially hired uh, some of the world's top assassins uh, and top, you know demolition experts shall we say to come in and just uh, essentially burn the hell's kitchen to the ground so they can then buy it for a song uh, gentrify it build it back up and sell it for a fortune so there's the likes of bullseye in here you've got rhino in here um i don't recognize this character bullet is that someone we should no know? don't know bullet uh do know bullseye do know stealth man yeah stealth man as well as say rhino you'd crossbones uh, I really enjoyed them making Stiltman quite serious because he's the, the silliest villain in the world. But they actually make him quite, quite angry and dramatic here. You know? well, they've, they've, they've time for Stiltman to earn his keep. They've uh, spent a bit of time 
trying to over the past few years sort of doing yeah because he suffered from you know all sorts of issues as a result of being seen as a joke you know yeah. and all of that so seeing him in a in a fairly dark Zdarsky Chichero you know book is is really interesting yeah um but yeah, just a great book. And what's interesting is Hell's Kitchen's been uh, defended at this point by just ordinary citizens, but they're all wearing daredevil masks as sort of trying to, it, it's almost a, a show of strength, trying to say that Daredevil is defending, you know, Hell's Kitchen, because obviously at this point, Matt is still struggling with reclaiming that mantle and so forth. Uh, even Wilson Fisk looks on, not really knowing what to do. The city's burning around him. Uh, you know, he's being told, you know, it's being systematically destroyed by the Strowmans. But he literally does nothing. He just stands and watches the chaos unfold. But but it's all these people sort of starting to stand up to to these guys that is sort of inspiring Matt as well, uh, which, you know, the issue ends with just an absolutely awesome fist sort of pumping moment. Um, but before we get to that, I, I need Keith's expertise here. Who is Sister Mary? Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're looking at Typhoid Mary. Typhoid Mary, okay. Uh, so Typhoid Mary is um, a character. She has um, a splendid personality, and each of those personalities has certain powers. Uh, she's a long-time uh, foe of Daredevils. Uh, I think, yeah. So I mean, she's yeah. Typhoid Mary is, is a okay. well-known Daredevil. Uh, so that was that was. At the end of that issue, I was like, oh, Typhoid's back. She's very, very dangerous. Um, have we looked? Have we read up on, on... But that was that was the point of this issue that got me. I went, oh, this is just... Yeah. This, is, <laughs> this has just got real for Matt. Um, this was the first issue we see Mac, Matt sort of starting to retake yeah. the Daredevil costume and the Daredevil identity back. Um, yeah, very much so. Though. There was, uh, you know, that, that individual who had appeared uh, earlier in... And Zdarsky's run, who was masquerading as Daredevil, you know, to try and protect his neighborhood whenever Daredevil was gone, reappeared. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't go well for him. But, uh, you know, Matt was there uh, whenever this guy was went up against Bullseye. And that's kind of interesting as well, because obviously Bullseye's one of Daredevil's yeah, arch nemeses. And just that scene where he just he stabs the fake Daredevil. Um and Matt's there for doesn't the guy die? Yeah, he does. Yeah, Matt's there and uh, it's very death of Electro reminiscent. Yes, very it? much so. Uh, very much so. Um, and uh, whenever we next see Matt, he's there with a belly club in one hand, a knife in the other hand that he's just uh, he's just caught that uh, Bullseye's thrown. But he's he's in his civvies, but he's wearing the Daredevil cowl that the uh, the other guy was was wearing so yeah that's nice yeah, that's a nice just great dialogue finish, yeah. as well bullseye being like god really is there no end do you fake daredevils and he just catches the knife he's like not fake lester just daredevil uh yeah, yeah but just that, uh that, you know sister elizabeth has been a, a stalwart through zadarsky's run mm-hmm. so that you know she's matt's been in to see her a few times you know but just that that moment at the end whatever things go just a wee bit pear shape for her and sister elizabeth goes call me mary and just the wild hair and the you know she's she's transformed into into typhoid mary you're just yeah fantastic yeah just for me anyway just continues to be marvel's best Mm, book it's very very good it's up there it's up there 
Yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, so I think that brings an end to the, the Marvel Honorable Mentions. That's a big old Marvel section this week. Yeah. Well, it's like four titles. It's not many. Twice as many as we got, DC. <laughs> Both DC picks were yours. Though. That's it's all right. This is where Roddy starts to re-earn his coin now, because in terms of the, uh, the Honorable Mentions, there's actually more indie than there are uh, DC or Marvel, although Roddy's only mentioned in two titles. Yeah. What have you got, Vicky? I've got Farmhand at number 14. It's written by Rob Gilroy. And draw... Oh, he, he, he does everything. He draws it as well. He is the man. It's everything by Rob Gilroy. It is everything by Rob Gilroy. But to be honest, I like that because I like his art style. Um, it's fantastic. If you haven't read Chew, that should be another one on your list. I haven't read Chew. It's, no, it's, it's another one that you should uh, be reading. Um, it's the same art style. Um, we've got what the first absolute. Of yes, it, Keith, so. I see you looking at the bookcases. The first volume is there. <laughs> so, Alan has already and said. All the single issues are upstairs. <laughs> Alan has said he's going to get the next volume in the absolute edition just to. Smorgasbord editions. Yeah. Um, it Farmhand is just. I think it's consistently good. There's no real sort of worries with it being sort of bad like um yeah, you know what you're getting with it at this point i think you're doing a disservice i think it's more than just consistently good i think it's more than just knowing what you're getting with it it's bloody fantastic it's uh it, it goes top of the pile i think yeah. when when i get it and sort of there hasn't been announcement for the end of this has there uh, he has he said, said that, that it's he's roughly about halfway through. Yeah, so I think 30, 30 issues. issues. Yeah. Okay, so um, we've still got a good halfway to go. So that makes me happy. That, um, but it starts off with um, what's her name? Um, Thorn. Is it Thorn? Yeah, Mo- Monica Thorn. She's. I think it's a it's a flashback to many years ago. This is effectively the last couple of issues have been the origin of Monica Thorne. We've kind of we've 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 started to develop the idea that she is the Monica is the big bad. Well, I think she's more the sort of the host of the big bad. Yeah, sort she's of like, like a tragic character, nearly, isn't she? Yeah. So I think um, she obviously was unwell. Obviously, she had the was it brain tumor. She yeah, had yeah. something to do with the brain mm-hmm. um, because obviously Jed. Jedha um, refused to touch the brain, um, but then Jedediah. Jedediah, that's yeah. it. Um, he he was like, we don't touch the brain. It's too. Um, well, that's right. They had a they had a thing Barney. very early on yeah. where where something became sentient nearly, and they were like, whoop. Yeah, he said no, brain, do not touch. It's not where you go. And then you go through, and then it's got the um, the kids find the other doctor or the other scientist sorry that was um, working with them um, back in the lab when they were sort of starting out and they've got the what would you call was it um, I can't remember his name the wee green dog caterpillar thing yeah that's I think gumbo gumbo that's it Mm. it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting what's 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 going on here because this is, I mean, this is by the end of it we've you know, you know Monica, we see her at the start. That she's she was the first that what it's hard to talk about because we don't know quite what's going on. Yeah. But she was the first person that the 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 voice that is associated with the the Jedediah seed, um, contacted. So she was the first 
you know, she was hearing the voice in her head, you know, and after she was treated or after she had worked with it, you know, and, uh, you know, Jedediah knows this. We see him today. He's he's chugging whiskey. He's uh, opening a box that contains Monica Thorne's record and uh, Anna Jenkins' record, who is his wife, who yes. is deceased. So he puts the Anna Jenkins record down. What is going on there? That's the fa- That's the, the mother of, of our main protagonist. Very strange. Yeah, it's yeah. very, very strange. And he looks through the Monica Thorne record. And then he pulls out a gun and he goes after Monica. He realizes that it's time to, it's time to end this. You know, um, uh, the scientist was uh, it Wally? You call him? Um, yeah, it, he was the one they brought yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, they brought back it? in the last issue. You yeah. know, he's he's trying to get reacquainted. You know, and then the kids introduce him to Gumbo, the caterpillar dog thing, and it turns out he was the. It, it was an experiment. It was a pug with skin cancer that the the Jed cell cured it. You know and. Yeah, and and uh, then it it proceeded to eat another test subject, a worm horn, and then that's why it became the, the, the caterpillar dog thing, you know, and and all of that. And we've got the kid uh, that was in the very first issue. Remember the kid that was the, the spy kid? The spy, yeah. From, from the Russian spy kid, and Jed grafted him a new arm using the Jedediah seed, and, uh, you know, he's hearing the voices in his head, and that's been a whole issue. And um, Zeke, who's the son I'm starting to get these names. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Zeke, who's the son, you know, reveals to the kid that he's been infected by the seed as well. And they're all hearing Monica in their, in their head. And then who's Monica hearing in her head? And what's going on? And it's all starting to become clear. Um, we're introduced to Uncle Randall. Uh, Uncle Randall is uh, Jedediah's... Is he Jedediah's brother? Uh... Is he Jedediah's brother or is he the mother? Is he Anna's brother? Uh, I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm not just 100%. But anyway, um, uh, Zeke's, Zeke's uh, wife and sister who are, who are buddying up here, they visit Monica's house. They discover all sorts of horrific plant-based things. Um, and then I think they find the source of it. Oh, did they not? With this... Um, what this tree stump that looks yeah it's it, I don't know if it's the source of the whole thing but it's certainly it, it is uh, very much like something we discovered in the forest earlier on and uh, it's all very horrific and uh, everybody has to run like hell and yeah uh, things are clearly getting to Zeke's infection with the with the Jedediah seed is, is clearly t- yeah. yeah it's taking its toll it's starting to get to a, a crux point and uh, and all of that so um, we see a wee bit of the backstory of Monica and uh, yeah and then Jedediah finds Monica and she's burning a load of crop she's getting rid of, of everything really all the evidence she's you know so time to reap yeah so next issue is the end of uh, the end of uh, the I guess season these are, three. Yeah, yeah, these are coming out in, in, in seasons yeah. five issue seasons five so, issues time so uh, yeah Next, uh, next issue is uh, chapter fourteen. It's the end of. I the end of season love three. this book. I love how it's so darkly comic. Mm. So like everything visually is so funny, but there's always a dark undertone to yeah, it as well. Yeah, I love exactly. It. It's fantastic. It's such a good book. Yeah, well, these were all skills that uh, Rob Gilroy learned on the aforementioned Chew, uh, which leads to uh, certainly one that I really enjoyed for a while. This was going to be my pick of the week. 
this is actually quite a unique thing in Image. You don't get a lot of crossover comics uh, within the indie sector, but this is going to be a three-issue miniseries that is crossing over two different properties that are written by John Lehman, one being Outer Darkness, which I, until now, have not read any, uh, mixed over with Chew. So this was something that they announced on Twitter a little while ago. I thought we were getting just more Chew. So at first I was slightly disappointed it was being shared with something else. But I have to admit, this was great. Uh, this So Outer Darkness is a uh, space sci-fi title that John Lehman writes. And the crux of this story is that the guys on board the ship of Outer Darkness, they're dealing with... Uh, they're dealing with a local diplomat, and the local diplomat only um, communicates through food. food. Now, if you know anything about Chew, it's all about a guy who can bite into a piece of fruit, and he knows what pesticides were used in the growing of it, where it came from, how much sunlight it got. So he has ridiculously great taste buds, but the other thing is, if he tastes a hamburger, for example, he knows the cow that was minced up, he knows the, the horrible things that led to that, so he just lives off of a diet of beets. But he's got a very good palate. So the the silly idea behind all of this is the um, the cooks in space can't do anything to appease this guy. So they need outside <laughs> help. So they go to Earth and they find Tony Chu uh, and his partner. Um, the reason this was so great for me is because the first the, the book is split between two different artists. So you have Afu Chan, who is the artist in Outer Darkness. But you have Rob Gilroy obviously the aforementioned farmhand, uh, returning to draw some Chew. And Chew's one of my very favourite series. I genuinely never thought I would see any new content. So seeing him just drawing these characters again was a massive boost. Uh, another character we love in Chew is a character called Poyo. Poyo! Poyo is this uh, <laughs> essentially a rooster who was experimented on by the government and kicks all kinds of ass. He's awesome. So there's a part in this where uh, Tony... And his partner are um, what's his partner's name again? Oh, skips me. His uh, part oh Colby. Um, He's got they're being attacked by these zombified mounties, and Colby says, "Where's our freaking backup in this one, Tom? Where the hell is Poyo?" And you turn the page, and there's a big, massive, almost like movie poster, and this is Poyo versus Shelvis. You know, this is just outstanding. <laughs> oh, stuff. you know, wow. Who doesn't want to watch that? Or see that. You know? It'll be awesome, I think. Vitriol in Vegas. Blue suede, bottom feeder. You know, to be fair, Shelvis is some sort of an alien crab dressed in Elvis's Elvis. Elvis's Las Vegas jumpsuit. And Poyo is fighting them in Crustacean King Combat. But the thing is, with Rob Gilroy's art in two, there was always hidden like bits of gems. So like I was reading it and Anna looked at me. At one point I had the comic upside down, like trying to read this newspaper article on the floor of the comic like it's a that's what you had to do you had to do with Chew because like he would put in posters in the background that's why it used to take me forever and a day to read the comic because I was I was always looking at the background art like I wouldn't I wouldn't quickly read it then go back over I was like I wanted it all right there and then so yeah it was just uh it was just a really really fun sort of crossover comic it was something I, I fully wasn't expecting but uh, definitely be sticking with this. So I actually want to check out Outer Darkness now as well, which is John Lehman's other title. But uh, yeah, just great to see a little bit of a uh, little bit of chew love out there. Were they normal size issues? 
they yeah. Slightly bigger, were they? No. Uh, see, it was about normal, but there was, there was a little bit of background material, a little bit of a trailer for Chew at the back, you know, where they talk about ah. what it's about, that kind of thing. A little uh, advert for Outer Darkness, you know, breaking down all the personnel, that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, this was just tremendous fun. Not to be taken seriously in any way, but just a lot of fun. So it was. So uh, yeah, it was Outer Darkness Chew number one. Uh, another one I personally enjoyed a lot was uh, another Boom title. Obviously, we, we talk quite a lot about Boom, but this was a series called King of Nowhere. Uh, so this number one, it's by written by W. Maxwell Prince with art by Tyler Jenkins. Um, w. Maxwell Prince is riding high in the indie world at the moment, currently writes Ice Cream Man, uh, which is doing very well. I believe it's been picked up for a show as well. Uh, with King of Nowhere, it sort of takes the idea of not remembering the night before and runs with it. The whole issue is almost essentially just one big giant acid trip where a guy is convinced he's dreaming. But the more you go through it, he's like, wake up, wake up. And he's not. He essentially wakes up in the woods down the side of a road and starts walking towards the nearest town. As he's walking towards that town, he, uh, a van pulls up beside him. You have a guy who has all the characteristics of a human but has the head of a goat. Uh, saying that I this it was a deer. Or a deer, is it? Um, who is uh, saying that the town up ahead is going to eat him alive. So he comes to this place called North Warwick, but a lot of the, uh, the sign is um, blocked out. So it says, welcome to nowhere. He walks into this cafe. It has all manner of animal people. It has a guy with a upside down head on his shoulders. It has a man in a tuxedo, but with a trout for a head. It's a, a cop walks in who has four arms. It's uh, it's very trippy, very original, very unique. Uh, really dug the first issue. Just going to be five issues, little short mini series. Yeah, um, me too. It was very. Somebody decided fear and loathing in Las Vegas needed some more David Lynch. Yeah, and then off the off to the races <laughs> they went. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler Jenkins' art is phenomenal yeah. in it as well. Really. I don't even know where to describe it. It's sort of... It's really dynamic, mm-hmm. really detailed, interesting, good colours. Uh, not realistic at all, but that's no, not what they're going no. for. You know, it's <laughs> it's almost like hyper-realism, as you say. Almost surrealism, I suppose, better better term for it. But, but yeah, this reminded me very, very much of David Lynch, which is never a bad thing, I think. Boom, uh, kicking, kicking ass again. Another number one. Continuing to kick ass, so they are. So, uh, yeah, really, really dug that uh, first issue. Uh, what have you got over there, Keith? I see open. Uh, so I've got an indie book that I was looking forward to and which uh, I didn't tell Alan I was looking forward to, but which Alan managed to uh, grab me anyway. So very much appreciated, Alan. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, when we were recording the podcast and he was saying, oh, a title I'm really looking forward to coming out tomorrow is Join the Future. Nah, I, I tend to know people's pull list quite well. Uh, and I sort of thought, I don't think that's on his pull list. Yeah, yeah. But no, wait, copy's coming in. So, uh, yeah, Join the Future, it's an Aftershock book. Uh, My first Aftershock book, I think, that I've ordered in single issue. Um, Did you not get the Western one, Undone by Blood? I did not. I lent it to you, that's it. But you're going to get number two. My statement stands. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That is you told son. Uh, Zach Kaplan is the writer and creator. Piotr Kowalski is the artist. So um, it's a book about the city of the future. Uh, fine um, 
spires. Uh, we've got uh, they've got they've got farms. They've got uh, free healthcare, uh, security. You can design it on your own home. Sort of looks like a utopia. Uh, it? it is a utopia, Roddy. You know, universal basic income, all the entertainment you could ever need. Um, you know, and all you have to do. In order to get all of these things to join a mega city without hunger, disease, poverty, or crime, is join them. Mm. That's all you need to do, you know. Join the future, and who wouldn't want to? Well, but there's there's a wee sinister yeah, smile there. You sort of there's see. Certainly, something going on behind the surface. Um, is there? Well, is there? Maybe there is. Um, as someone who. Uh, has my own beliefs on these things. I think there is. <laughs> you clearly think there is. Um, so we're introduced to the people who don't want to, to buy into this particular dream. Uh, Franklin and his son and daughter, Clementine and Owen. And they live out in the Midwest in the USA. They live in the on the fringes. Um, you know, out in a, in, a, in, a, in a world that is a wee bit more Wild West. Um, they're out... Uh, Franklin is teaching his kids to or at least Clementine Clem to, to shoot and uh, she gets attacked by a wolf and uh, you know all of that sort of stuff but we find out that, that Clem suffers from asthma she needs an inhaler uh, she's she's lost her inhaler so they, they make very limited use of technology um, but they're near a traitor and a traitor is someone who uh, in this particular world uh, has scavenged you know the, the towns that are left behind as the city grows uh, you know, and has, you know, scavenged the, the technology that they find there. Uh, you know, so someone that, that the traders are someone who sit between the, the city of the future and the, the, the world of the past mm-hmm. um, as the city continues to grow. And so we're, I guess what we're looking at is a story about what, how much people will give up to hold on to their principles. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's a it's a, a beautifully rendered story by Peter Kowalski. I love the art. Uh, it really is. It's it's this is this is really interesting for me because Peter Kowalski did Bloodborne, which I was um, a massive fan of, mm-hmm. and Zach Kaplan did Port of Earth, which is a great great image series too. But this this sort of seemed to pass me by. But when I was looking through it earlier, I was like, "Holy shit! This this looks incredible." How did I miss this? Uh, like uh, Kowalski, he doesn't. There's not the same sort of range as there is in Bloodborne. But uh-huh. This this it's a still a beautifully rendered. He gets to do something completely different in yeah. world building. Yeah, Bloodborne's very much a horror title. This is sort of like a weird sci-fi mixed with yeah, Western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. Which I mean, both of those things are going to grab me. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever, whenever the father and the kids get back to the town, uh, there's some folk from the, from the city there, and they're 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 uh, they're talking about. You know, and it's interesting actually. I'm just noticing whenever you get back to the town, it says "Welcome to the town." Population used to be twelve thousand five hundred forty-two. It's now only two hundred eighty-eight. Mm-hmm. You know, so obviously there's a lot of people are making the move to the city, um, presumably. Um, but there's some people from the city there and their big SUV, you know, and their fine suits and they're showing their presentation about the city. Why would you toil under this heat and this per air from dawn to dusk? And you could live in the comfort of a new 2,000 square foot urban home. All, well, your kids are educated, your cancers are treated and your every care is met. Um, we ask for nothing. You just have to join us, join together. We're better together. And, you know, usually as a socialist, I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. We are better together. But there's something about <laughs> these folks in suits that I don't trust. You know, um, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch and so forth. And, so, and, and that is actually 
the point that is that is made. Um, you know, the, the people from the city brought a peace offering for the holiday today, which I guess is Thanksgiving. Turkeys, actual actual turkeys, and the, the father, you know, effectively, you know, shoots the turkeys and says that no, we're not taking that, you know. So, I mean, effectively what he's saying is there is no such thing as a free lunch. Um, you know, the father is the mayor of the town. And it just, it, it is about, it's about, you know, what is the what is the price? What is the price of your principles? You know, what is, mm. you know, and... Uh, you know, in a in a world where we're looking at, uh, you know, even in Belfast, we're looking at um, gentrification by any other means. We're looking at what the Stormwinds are doing in Daredevil. Mm-hmm. You know, where where effectively developers are are buying pieces of land and and uh, doing them down and and shutting businesses, raising raising rents in order that businesses shut, so places look like you know viable viable. Um, Independent businesses like your own, you know what I mean. They they they'll raise the rents in these areas as they've done on North Street, you know, until they shut. And these areas then are devalued and devalued until developers buy them and then announce something, you know, fantastic that's going to serve everybody. But it's not going to serve everybody. It's going to serve a few rich serve people. Themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so so I think this this join the future is very much that. Yeah. Um. And I really enjoyed the first issue. I really enjoyed the writing in it. The it was very very explosive. The ending was had a had a real nice explosive ending. Uh. So, uh. So I'm really looking forward to to what comes next from from Join the Future by Aftershock Comics. Yeah. Aftershock. Yeah. Yeah. Piotr yeah, Kowalski. He was the artist on a title I really enjoyed from a few years ago called Sex. Which was done through Image Comics. Joe Casey was the writer on it. It was all it was all about repressed superheroes, uh, but his art style always stuck with me. Yeah. Really, really cool art style. He also did a lot of um, he did a lot of the Stephen King adaptations of Dark Tower. He did a lot of the art on he that. He did, yes, as well. he did indeed. Um, right. So there were uh, including the drawing of the three, which Vicky's just pointing at our Scotty Young cover. Uh, yeah, so really good artist. So yeah, I must actually I might grab that off you and have we read of that. Um, cool. Uh, we'll pretty much leave it there in terms of the old honourable mentions then. Or was there anything else someone wanted to mention? Yeah, there was. Yeah. Oh, I tell you. Indie, uh, oh, I have to get Mindy oh, love Sorry. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. no, that, I, I know why I stopped you in this, because I haven't read it yet. <laughs> go, Roddy, go. Uh, right then. So. La, 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 la. <laughs> Butcher of Paris number four. Fantastic. I was going to say, I didn't think I'd read it yet. The thing is with Butcher of Paris, um, and of course I'll let you chat away about it, um, it's, one of those ti- it's one of those <laughs> titles that uh, when we first started getting pre-orders for it, we had maybe four, five people on it. There's now about 12. Really? And we just, oh, well. we ran out of issues, so I just didn't get a chance to get one, so there's one on the way. But Fantastic. Um, won't spoil anything. It's just brilliant. I think it's the best one yet. It sort of examines second last issue. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Sort of examines the dynamic between the butcher and France, basically falling into chaos. They've okay. been they've been liberated, but it's it's still not right. Yeah, you know. I really like we we're talking about Spider Man in the War nineteen thirty nine. This I love World War Two stuff. Yeah, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant book. Um, yeah, I'll say no more. But if Mike, because I'm so gracious. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants fed, that's all it is, people. Um, yeah, but yeah, so those were the releases on the uh, the 4th of March. Uh, as I say, we'll, we'll just throw out what the ones we were looking forward to, most certainly for the 11th were. Uh, for me, the big title of the week was always going to be Decorum. 
Uh, I think Keith will probably agree with me on this, just based solely on the great work Hickman's doing in the X-Universe. So Decorum is a uh, sci-fi title that he is launching uh, with Mike Huddleston on art. Looking forward to that. Uh, big double-sized issue to start. Uh, the other two that really stand out to me are Green Lantern Season 2, number 2, and uh, Thor, number 4, because I'm really digging what Donny Cates is doing there, I have to say. I've got Star Wars Bounty Hunter, number one. Um, I'm really enjoying a lot of the Star Wars stuff. I've got Star Wars main uh, series, Darth Vader, and I've got this one as well. I'm with you. I'm not, I, I wasn't down for Bounty Hunters, so... Uh, you should, should probably pick it up, because it might... Because you don't get enough comics, Keith. Yes, yeah, yeah but Darth Vader and the, the core yeah, Star Wars thing are, are fantastic. And then I've got Jessica Jones, number five, um, which... It's been a great series. It has been good. Yeah. And there's one more after that. And then I've got Stealth number one. It's a new image title. Looking forward to that one too. Ready? Cool. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where these all land in terms of picks, I suppose, for next week. Um, but I'm looking forward to North Bend number one, which is like a, a detective sort of sci-fi uh, comic from Scout. So looking forward to that one and Amazing Spider-Man 41, which is always a good one. I believe Ryan Otley is back. <laughs> I hope I'm not wrong on that. <laughs> never say never. <laughs> um, yeah, looking forward. I think that's it for me. And then sort of all the other stuff uh, you guys have sort of picked, I think. so. Uh, for me, uh, Rosenberg's Hawkeye Freefall number four. Um, the Cliffhanger... What's that? Otto Smith. That very boy. Uh, the cliffhanger last week left us with uh, Daredevil sort of seemingly uncovering uh, Hawkeye's or, or Clint Barton's uh, deception. Uh, looking forward to Cable number one because Cable and Decorum number one as well. Yeah, uh, Cable, it's Phil Nudo doing art and that. He doesn't do a lot of sequential stuff these days, does he? does a lot of covers. Mm-hmm. But uh, doesn't seem to do a lot of sequential stuff. So. Cover looks fantastic. Yeah, like an old sort of eighties sci-fi movie. Poster, yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? yeah, exactly. It creases in the poster. It even has the creases yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I thought that was a really nice touch. So, so yeah, that's going to do it for us for uh, the reviews from the fourth of March. Uh, just say thank you to you guys for listening, and say thank you to everyone around the table. Pleasure as always. Yes, indeed. Goodbye. Good Keep night. on winging it. <laughs> <laughs>